For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Shocking story making the papers this morning from the courts. It's absolutely horrific. This is a man uh, who repeatedly raped a woman that he met on a dating website. He gave her a false name and has now been jailed for nine years. Bajo Ziflai, a 22-year-old, found guilty by jury of four counts of raping a 23-year-old woman. Now... The court heard that Ziflai uh, met the woman on a dating website, I'm reading from the Mirror this morning, gave her a false name, then arranged to meet her at a house, and she was driven to the house by her mother. Uh, She told him in advance that there would be no sexual activity between them, and they were chatting about that on Snapchat. Um, And he acknowledged and responded to her saying that there will be no sexual activity by saying, okay. Uh, He then raped the woman four times, sexually assaulted her before she managed to leave the house and call her mother. Um, The misfortunate young girl who thought she was going on a date with, as she said it herself, a nice man. Far from that, obviously. Uh, She stated in her victim impact statement that she went to meet what she thought was a nice man, uh, but that meeting changed my life forever. It's absolutely horrifying. And it's even more upsetting because she also said in her victim impact statement, I have two whys. I have two whys. Why did I go there and why did he rape me? Um, I think it's sad, actually, that she ends up questioning uh, herself. And I think that's awfully, awfully sad. And I hope that she manages to recover from that because it was not her fault in any way, shape or form. But yet she's asking the question, why did I go there? Um, It's awfully sad. It really and truly is. And it shows that uh, in the online world, it's so easy Uh, you know, to create persona uh, and become and lie about who you are and create this this false narrative just to lure people into a trap. And in this case, a young girl whose life's been changed uh, forever, but hopefully she will get the, you know, the the help and the strength uh, to pick up her life again. It's awfully sad. Um, Speaking of awfully sad, uh, there isn't one person, of course, that wouldn't be feeling the pain of the Healy family. Uh, Matthew Healy was killed uh, during... um, an attack in the uh, Mercy University Hospital early on Sunday morning. Now, a man has been charged in connection with the investigation into the death of Matthew Healy and many of the papers carry it this morning. Now, he's expected to appear uh, before Cork District Court this morning. Um, So a lot of what's been said in some certain newspapers over the past 24 hours can't be repeated now on air because of a charge. So that that's where things change completely. After someone's been charged, there are areas and avenues that one can't go down because of good impact in a trial. I'm sure you understand that. I've said that many times before. The Independent carry the story as well, um, uh, where a pensioner beaten to death in the ward with an implement that they're saying had not been brought into the hospital. It's said to have been some kind of a walking frame or a Zimmer frame. Um, so Matthew Healy died. And of course, um, the pensioner described yesterday morning on the air uh, by Michael Looney, the local councillor, and many people getting in touch as well, saying that he was uh, the most gentle and pleasant man. Uh, and I think there were prayers in bearings yesterday um, for his uh, in his memory. Um, the IMO, INMO, of course, are asking, um, and have been for quite a long time, 
a full security audit. And that's interesting because yesterday morning on the air, there were a num- number of people who were talking about security um, and about security staff and lack of security staff. And how it's hard to get people to work in security, that the hours are long, the rotas are difficult and the pay is bad. Um, so that's a big issue. And OK, well, there'll be a guard investigation and certainly um, an investigation by the HSE and the Mercy. Uh, the nurses union are also asking asking for a complete and utter full security audit. It's way overdue in the light of this uh, awful incident. Um, there, interestingly, you you will also find uh, that um, many people are suggesting. Uh, that the HSE probably shouldn't be investigating the HSE or that the hospital shouldn't be investigating the hospital, that there should be a public inquiry or should be some kind of an independent investigation instead. Yes, I want to acknowledge uh, some texts and emails this morning. Some of them are, make me feel uncomfortable because they're not the nicest kind of texts to be getting uh, when you hear stories like going on in City West. But I do acknowledge that we, you know, the... We've got different systems here. You know, one is direct provision and we've got Ukrainian refugees coming into the country. But then we have international protection orders where young men are coming into Ireland from various different countries. And it would seem, certainly in the case of Killarney, and I don't know if it's the same in City West, that perhaps some of the nationalities just don't get on. Uh, So a typical example this morning when I came in, you might want to mention the situation in City West last night. All major outlets are reporting it. Surprisingly, even RTE. Great to see that guests coming to the country are appreciating Irish hospitality. Keep them coming. We have no problems of our own, I suppose. Uh, you should play Arclight the fat, by the Fat Lady sing, Sings because the band's name sums up Ireland's current situation. I'm sure you'll agree. That, of course, is referencing a fight that broke out at the International Protection Centre in City West uh, last evening around about half past six. Now, three people have been taken to hospital. They're saying that there were no arrests made, no serious injuries, but the videos uh, looked awful. They looked very bad. You had a big area. I think it might have been a big dining area or some kind of recreation area in the video where chairs are being thrown and tables are being thrown and bottles are being thrown. And obviously, it led to physicality if three people were taken to hospital after the incident at the uh, International Protection Centre in Dublin City West. It is alarming, it is worrying, and it comes only a couple of weeks after the carry-on down in Killarney. Um, You had several Garda units there, including members of the Armed Support Unit, attending the City West facility last night, Um, objects being thrown, as I say. Um, And this disturbance involved refugees from a number of countries housed in the facility. So that makes the papers also... um, You know, you talk about uh, the Ukrainian situation and the ongoing war. um, And apparently the examiner is saying this morning, quoting statistics from the government, saying that 60% of Ukrainian refugees are likely to stay in Ireland after the war ends. This is a briefing document that was given to Simon Harris, apparently, stating in the headline in the examiner, says 60% of Ukrainian refugees are likely to remain after the war. Um, And I suppose that would be fine. Not a bother in the whole wide earthly world if they become net, net contributors to Irish society and work and contribute and get on with their lives. Uh, we do still have a shortage in the Irish workforce. Uh, before the courts, um, yet another, I mean, the plague of shoplifting with regards to businesses in the city continues to get worse and worse and worse. Um, and I can't say much about this apart from the fact that uh, a particular woman who was before the courts had 225 previous convictions uh, and has been jailed for eight months for the latest shoplifting uh, offences. Um, you're talking about different shops, the likes of Eurogiant 
Um, I think also there was Next, the clothing shop on, on Opera Lane and stuff like that. But it's just the volume of them. Um, just, you know, like in the past few years, I'm talking about a lot of shoplifting charges and court appearances of people who have had hundreds of shoplifting incidents uh, to their name. Uh, and also the papers today are talking about, and this is good news, more positive news, making the front of the Irish Times. You know that 80 euro that you're supposed to pay when you go to the A&D? Uh, a lot of people are very unhappy about paying that. It's going to be scrapped, um, and it's going to be scrapped from April, uh, which is kind of interesting, really, because uh, you think that this government would be strapped for money, but hang on a second, they're not, actually, because they had huge exchequer receipts for the last fiscal year. So maybe they've got money to spare. So they're going to get rid of the hospital inpatient charge from April. Public hospital inpatients will be abolished. Um, and that's interesting because, you know, they, it could save adults receiving inpatient care a lot of money. I mean, hundreds and hundreds if you're a repeat visitor to a hospital setting or through the A&E. But of course, then our children. Um, and of course, this is nothing new um, because, you know, whether it's geriatric or pediatric, they suffer very badly in this country. And we know of the CAMS system. The headline in the mirror this morning says that children are lost in the HSE mental health system. And it's fine for Hall Martin to say that he finds the report unacceptable and that something needs to be done about it, but that's typical of what we hear of politicians. Something needs to be done about it. Last week, of course, we had the story of Timothy O'Sullivan down in Mallow, who could well have been dead in his own little cottage for 20 years. The Independent this morning talk of a, a guard investigation. Um, they're searching for the relatives of a reclusive Englishman uh, who lay, lay dead in his house for many weeks. Uh, they've been unable to trace his next of kin. man by the name of Ray King, a 57-year-old, for a place from a place called Bala in County Mayo. Um, his remains were discovered in a severe state of decomposition uh, and the search is on to try and find his loved ones. It is just so, so sad. Papers also today uh, talk about our housing strategy. What strategy would that be? I think it would be more fair to say our lack of a housing strategy, withering criticisms of it right across the papers today. And Charlie Bird continues to update um, his his friends and, and followers and fans, I suppose, and those that respect the battle that he's going through um, online. And he's been talking recently emotionally of the fact that he is now non-stop crying. He says that it is clearly a consequence of his motor neuron disease and he has been crying non-stop. It's very sad for him because, of course, there'll be another climb of Croke Park. You remember the climb for Charlie and all of the money that was raised um, when he climbed Croke Patrick in County Mayo. That's going to happen again. Uh, but Charlie said yesterday that it breaks his heart to say that he cannot ever climb a mountain again. And Tommy Tierna makes many of the papers also. They love to, um, you know, uh, take a look at, at stories that involve people who get it wrong and then try and put it right. Um, many people, of course, me included, think that the joke was completely and utterly unacceptable. Uh, he clearly upset people because 40,000 people have switched off the television chat, chat show from last Saturday night. I don't know whether it had anything to do with the guests on the show or whether it was a pushback about what he said regarding taxi drivers and Dublin Zoo and stuff like that. But all you can say about that is you hope he would learn from it. Uh, you know, there's comedy. And comedy doesn't need that, actually. Those kind of jokes aren't needed to be funny. You know, it's much easier. It's, it's, it's perfectly capable of being funny without getting personal like that with regards to people's colour, creed or, re, or race. Um, and also, um, the you know what? The, you know these throuples? I mean... Whatever you have in yourself, none of my business. We live in a, a world, of course, where you know people are choose to 
do their own thing and make up their own minds and get on with their lives. But I'm told that throuples are a lot more common than you might actually think. Um, I'm mentioning that because the papers again this morning just love the story of the throuple involving Una Healy, David Hay and Sion Osborne. Uh, and they've been spending quite a long time together in Marrakesh. And you know, they seem very happy and lave them off. But uh, throuples, well, well that, I was just wondering, that always won't be, that, that won't be always just two women and a man, of course. That could be two men and a woman, I assume, in an effort to be fair. But the throupling is back in the papers this morning. And so is something, I know I've mentioned this in the past, the amount of things that we own, ancient artifacts that we own, that are in libraries and museums in the UK, um, something's got to be done about it because, like, other countries want their stuff back from Great Britain and we should be asking much louder than we have been asking for our stuff back including um, the Annals of Innes Fallon which are as important as the Book of Kells and that's still in the Bodleian Library in Oxford it's not theirs hours. And I like the fact now that um, Deputy uh, Sherlock, Deputy Joe Sherlock from up in North Cork, the Labour TD, also says that we certainly want things that are Irish. Back again, Sean Sherlock, my apologies. Um, And the latest one now apparently is the Mount Keefe Chalice, which is from the 16th century. One of the most important vessels of the Roman Catholic Church. This isn't about whether you're religious or not. This is just historical. It's important and it's beautiful. And it's on display in the Victoria and Albert Museum. And it's from North Cork, apparently. It's sorry, somewhere in Cork. I don't. Why did I say North Cork? It's from County Cork, um, and, and it, it's wrong, really. Um, you know, a lot of stuff that was taken, um, you know, because of Britain's colonial past. Isn't it time now to say sorry about all that? And here's all your loot back. Here's all your swag back again. And forget about dogs uh, being a man's best friend. Apparently, pigs are more intelligent. So it's not a dog. It could be a hog. The English Times this morning it seems that uh, a man has a surprising contender for the role of his best friend and it's a pig. Now, I never saw the film Babe. Um, Kevin did. Uh, and just not... I'm not kind of. I'm not an animally movie kind of guy. Do you get me? I, I know like, I get it. I don't but do like, the dog thing or the cat thing or the bird or you know in this case the, the pig. The bird. The, just that film about that bird yeah. that time. Yeah, no, I, I, I babe is a look. I get it. This was I, I a understand pig. This. this was a pig. Too sugary was, sweet for you. Yeah, just not, just stupid. Silly. <laughs> it's just like, I can't believe you just called. No, babe I just don't. I just, no, I just don't have it's that kind of. Film. I, I don't have that. I don't have that kind of gene in me, you know, where I can get all doughty petty about, you know, animal movies. Yeah, but a lot of animal movies are quite sad. You're a lassie when I was... Bambi does nothing for me. Lassie is a child, but now... Sure, I know now that no dog is that intelligent. And I know that Babe... (laughs) wasn't an intelligent pig it was yeah, just but sure you might as well just not watch movies sure I couldn't watch Avatar sure aliens aren't real are they sure I, I tried watching Avatar I got through about 15 minutes of it. anyway apparently um, this this story says that pigs show just as much affection for their owners and scientists have found that dogs still have the edge thanks to uh, superior communication skills but Babe apparently was a pig that could round up sheep was it? Yeah, he, he wanted a, Babe that harboured ambitions of being a, a sheep uh, herder and he was able to speak to the sheep I think over the course of the film he browned them off and then the sheep decided not to do what he wanted and then the I end, mean of people course, love those kind of touchy feely lovey dogs spoiler alert <laughs> yeah well no but it's spoiler a spoiler yeah, film that's 30 years old <laughs> yeah, well we found out uh, about the banshees of Inchir and you have to 
to be careful about what you spoil. If you haven't seen ago. Babe by now, give me a break, <laughs> I give up. No, I mean, yeah, that's essentially the film. I've, I've heard that, and I know people that have uh, actually kept pigs as pets. They're exceptionally intelligent, apparently emotionally exceptionally intelligent, particularly, and very clean. Um, animals. Contrary to the Contrary bad rep that they to have. To the referee, it? yeah. Apparently, the reason they roll around in mud isn't because they love the mud. It's to keep themselves cool when the sun is beating down on them. That's the only reason. Other I than that, it's like a resident pig cool. expert. Yeah, I, I, I know somebody who <laughs> who bought what they thought was a, piz, a pygmy pig, which is kind of like a small pig. They don't grow up. They always stay small, kind of the do size of a dog. Do people keep them as pets? People do. Um, unfortunately, this person was missold a, a pygmy pig. Uh, they like missold, be, be missold insurance and they ended up with a full-size pig wandering around but I, had, I had a neighbour in, a, in um, East Cork that had their own pot-bellied pig and she used to bring him for a walk uh, on a lead on a daily basis. It was a pet though, she wasn't rearing him for meat or anything? No, like. it was a pet. Pork chops in or the sausages. Of, in the middle sure. of a housing estate. Pig trotters <laughs> or crew beans. But like if she's listening, she might ring in and let if us know If anybody has a on. pet pig, I'd love to I talk to them. I suppose that's the thing though, that's the benefit, isn't it? I mean, they say the worst thing about having a dog, the worst thing about a dog is that a dog dog dies but I suppose if a pig dies at least you might have a bit of dinner for the evening what if it's a pet can't eat your pet even if it is a pig actually I, um, my wife in West Cork their uh, pet rabbit died a number of years ago and there was an old gentleman that used to come over from Britain don't tell me he used to eat roadkill and uh, oh, apparently don't say that in apparently he ended up in the freezer what your, the old man or the rabbit well the, the rabbit your, of course <laughs> yeah. your wife's pet yeah the, the neighbour at it allegedly <laughs> talking about food just very finally fair play to Tommy Gould I don't care what political party you're from I don't care in the slightest as long as anybody is talking about the fact that there's no services in Irish Rail they'll get my vote all day and he says the outsourcing of onboard facilities on the Cork Dublin train has not worked privatisation does not work. He says people travelling for hours without access to drinking water is ridiculous. People on trains get on and assuming that the trolleys are back serving bottles of water and they can't get nothing or they may not have purchased it before they get on. He's absolutely right. It's mortifyingly embarrassing. It's bad enough now that one of the big coffee shops in the uh, train station has closed uh, because they didn't renew the lease or what have you. Uh, But worse than when you get on the train and you can't get a bottle of water or a coffee or a sandwich or a bag of crisps um, or whatever you have in yourself. People should be able to do all those. And you should be able to buy beer or a glass of wine. Back in the old days, you could have a full fry up going up in the morning. You could have a mixed grill coming down. Uh, we looked longingly back to those wonderful days of yore. The Neil Prenderville Show on Courts Red FM. Two time gold winner at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. A lot of texts and emails from yesterday's program regarding the events in St. Michael's and everything's changing now with regards to that story because a man has been charged. So if, if I cut across people more uh, from this morning onwards, that's the reason why. Uh, Claire says, um, uh, in 20 years ago, I had a brief spell in St. Michael's Ward in the Mercy Hospital in Cork. Now, this incident didn't happen in St. Michael's. It happened in the general ward. Uh, but St. Michael's was the ward that uh, this girl was in. She said, I was very distressed and unwell at the time. And it was decided this would be the best course of action for me to have a few days away from the real world for rest and for care. Uh, one night, a woman in her war, in our ward of six, set fire to herself and to her bed. Uh, no one was allowed lighters or mobile phones at the time. As you can imagine, we were quite traumatized and frightened. 
Myself and another girl wanted to sleep in the TV area because we were too afraid to go back into our ward where they left the woman stay the night despite being dangerous and a danger to others. This male nurse started shouting at us that we had to go back into the ward and stay in our beds with this woman across from us. I'll never forget it. I had attempted to take my own life before being admitted, so you can imagine all of us were very distressed and afraid at witnessing this. I was 27 at the time, and the next day my parents removed me because of the threat to my safety. Thankfully, that's all behind me now, but the hospital has not been fit for purpose for a long time, and unfortunately, it was only a matter of time before this awful tragedy happened. And that from Claire by email to Neil at redfm.ie. I hope you're in a much better place now, a much more positive place and a much healthier place with your life. But thank you for that email. It must have brought back a lot of memories. Sharon, good morning. Sorry, one sec. You're grand. Sugar, I just take it off and secret. Do, if you wouldn't mind, yeah. It's yeah. it's better. Quality is better. Okay. Hiya. Okay, you're, talk, to me, talk to me about what A&D was it? Was it COH or was it the Mercy? Um, both, actually. Oh, okay. Um, okay, involved yeah. your mum. My so dad t- was admitted to the Mercy um, initially, and then he ended up going to COH. But, no, I mean, some of the care was fantastic, and some of the nurses were brilliant, and they're, you know, they're brilliant at their jobs. But, like that lady said yesterday, there's always a small percentage that... They shouldn't be in the job. Yeah, yeah. What I mean, and anyway, um, yeah, he went up. He like I remember I, mean, I had my fortieth birthday, and all my friends were there, and a lot of them hadn't seen my dad in years. And they said, "Jesus Christ, Aaron, your dad looks awful." He, do you know, he just deteriorated in a matter of weeks. And we were looking at him, and we were saying, "Jesus!" And my dad normally would love a, a pint, <clears throat> his pint of Guinness. And he had one pint of Guinness in front of him and he had, drank half of it and he had to go home early and that's not like him at all. Okay. I knew there was something wrong. So clearly there was something wrong yeah. and, and you did something so about that. He went to A&E then um, the following day and of course they were trying to send him home. Um, he had been to his own GP now for the last, for the previous few weeks and he kind of totally brushed him off as well. It was like, ah, oh, sure, Grant, take paracetamol. You're... You know, I you know, I suppose my dad, um, he wouldn't have taken the best care of his health. Mm. You know, like mm. a lot of men his age, like mm. he was only What 69. kind of age were we talking about at the time? He was sixty nine when he died. When he died, oh um, dear. Right. yeah, yeah. Um but anyway, he they sent him home and we brought him back up. We said, Look, he's not well. He is even his sister his sister hadn't seen him. Eric, you know, life is busy. She hadn't seen him in I don't know, six weeks or so. And I texted her after the party and I said, like she was meant to come to the party, but she had to go to England. Era, family, business, whatever. And I texted her afterwards and I said, look, you want to call to see my dad because he's, you know, not well. Now he, he was, he lost a huge amount of weight in in a matter of weeks, like something like three stone in a matter of weeks, you're saying, and was in agony. As well. Well, he was in fierce pain. So um, he was like, just. You would think that a GP would pick up on that and send him for texts yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. There Strange. was nothing done about it, and yeah. I think it was because they were kind of just saying, "Will you never really take took care of yourself?" Like my dad enjoyed the pints, and he, you know. Yeah, but none of that he, matters. Uh, like it's about no. it's about intervention. It's about that's what yeah. that's what the vast majority of people involved in medicine do. Yeah. You know, they yeah. don't judge the it. reason you're there. They just yes, want to fix you. Exactly. Yeah. 
they had no kind of respect. So anyway, he, yeah, we brought him back up to A&E and we insisted that he stay because they had sent him home to take paracetamol and he, when we brought him back, he ended up dying in hospital. So like he was at death's door and they were sending him home to take paracetamol. So when they did keep him in, did they identify what was wrong with him? You see, the problem is my dad had a pacemaker, so they couldn't they couldn't do um, scans on him. I think I think that's good. Anyway, we reckon he had cancer, but they couldn't they couldn't detect it because they couldn't do CAT scans or MRI scans on him because of the pacemaker. I think, as far as I know, You'd pick it up with bloods, though, wouldn't you? You would think so, yeah, but... He died, but no. he, so he went back in, stayed and passed away? Yeah, oh, he was there for six months, though. Like, we were exhausted. We were up and down to the hospital every day for six months. And he was just deteriorating. From the minute, he was in there a week, and he started going downhill because they put him on medication, and he completely lost his um, touch with reality. Right. He, didn't, yeah. he didn't know where he was. And I went up, every time I, I went up to him, he'd say to me, Jesus, you have to put on fair suede. I'd say, thanks, Dad. <laughs> every time he saw me, and he wouldn't say it to anybody else. <laughs> and he wasn't even fat, like. <laughs> and I was saying, thanks very much. He never, but, uh, he never he, lost his, par- his past remarkability then. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, he was always one to say it as but it you, is. Like, but are you saying you never actually knew, do, are you sure it was cancer in the end? We don't know. You don't All know. All his organs started failing and they never actually diagnosed him with anything. It was yeah. just... Yeah. How long ago was that? That was six years ago. And do you mind me asking, what did it say as cause of death on his death cert? Um, I'm sure it was just natural causes or something. Really? No, I have to check yeah. that with my dad, with my mum. Yeah. But, um... Sad, yeah, isn't it? was it? just a shock, a shock to the system because he was meant to be coming home a week before he died. They were saying, we can't really do any more for him. Yeah. Not like he was coming home to die or anything. They just said, you know, he's, he just needs to take better care of himself. And they were sending him home and we were looking forward to him coming home and he was, he was all excited. And yeah, he just took a turn and he was gone then within a week. Very sad, isn't it? Your mum's still alive, brother. yeah? She is, yeah. My mum's great, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, but it's sad, isn't but it? She, oh, yeah, she wasn't herself at all for about a year. She just, you know, she hardly went outside the door. Yeah, so but, many questions. And my brother, my brother had to come over from Australia and everything, but at least he came before my dad passed. And my dad met his son and stuff, so. So you would think that the, the, that the duty of care was lacking there, for sure? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Now, I will say, there was one girl, oh my God, I'll never, we never, my family will never forget her. She was just like an angel. Her name was uh, Ronnie. She was a healthcare assistant. And I swear to God, she was the kindest person I've ever met my whole life. Yeah. She was so kind to my dad. It was, I'm sorry. See how you, and you remember that. that that's still, yeah. that's still with you. The kindness shown and in times of need. It, it was unbelievable. It was like, like, what she said was, um, he reminded her of her own dad who had passed away. Yeah. He, she said, you were so like my own dad, the personality, you know? And they just clicked from day one. Yeah. And yeah. every time she came into the room, 
it was like, even when he was kind of out of it, when he was away in his own world, he would come back into the room when she was there. Because I, <clears throat> I remember the day before he died, I was trying to talk to him. Actually, he was not with her at all. I brought up my daughters <clears throat> to see him, and because we knew there wasn't much left. And, like, I, didn't, I hadn't been bringing them up so much because they were young, and, you know, it's not very nice days. But I wanted to bring him up one last time, and he, he didn't react at all. So he just, there was no kind of reaction from him because he was just away in his own world. Mm. And next thing, Ronnie came in, and <laughs> she said, Hello, my darling. And next thing, he came back into no. Did, 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 in the sense that he heard her voice, is it? Yes. How did that make you um, feel then? I know it didn't bother me. Yeah. I was just, we were skitting. We were skitting, you know. It was like she understood him. And I kind of, maybe we didn't so much because he was... It's amazing, yeah. He just made that connection with her. And what was your dad's name? Patrick. Patrick, okay. Yeah. Well, listen, condolences to the family on the loss of your dad. Thank Sad story. Much. Thank you for sharing well, it. Yeah. On top of that, then, sorry, um, I don't want to keep it too long. Um, my mum, that's the reason I, um, I texted in. Yeah, um, it's not a great phone line, Sharon, so just to finish it properly, I, just move around a little bit. I go up to the hall, actually, yeah, the area where we are, the reception is Okay, right. okay, you tell me and about your mum. Up again, so my mum um, was in fierce pain as well over Christmas, or before Christmas, I think it was the start of January, and... She, my brother's daughter, saying me in the middle of the night. She was, my mom now wouldn't be decided to come down at all. Yeah, it's not a great phone line, Sharon. I don't mean to be rude, but try and see if you can get a better place there. (laughs) Sorry, I go outside. That's better. Just finish, finish it there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, So, anyway, um, yeah, my mom, she was in first pain, and my brothers took her to AE, and she was there for about a day and a half, and just sitting in AE or whatever. CUH? Uh, no, the mercy. Okay. And she, they wanted to send her home again with Parasitima, and she refused. And she, she couldn't. No. She was. She couldn't breathe. Apparently, wasn't it? She couldn't breathe. Yeah. yeah. She was in agony, and she doesn't complain at all. Like, so we knew there was something up. And um, she, she insisted on staying, and they said okay. So, and they did. Um, I think it was a CAT scan on her, and it turned out she had two clots in her lungs, so she could have gone home. And clapped. Totally. She lives on her own. Totally. She could have died. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sending somebody home with a couple of paracetamol just won't cut it. It just won't no. do. It just won't do. And like, like my mum is a, is a quiet lady and I'm surprised she even put her foot down. Yeah. A lot of people wouldn't. Yeah. A lot of people do you think that people home. should, I mean, I don't mean to be, not to be aggressive or confrontational, but that they should, you know, say no. Insist. 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 Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. You have okay. to. Okay. Okay. Okay, thanks, Sharon. Look after yourself. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, text 0868104106. I've attended the Mercy since 2000 with long-term illness. I've spent the night there at least 20 times. At, ni- at night, there are only two nurses and a care assistant to each ward. In my time, I haven't seen security. Of an evening, all you'd have is the matron walking around asking how you are, and then you wouldn't see her again. Um, thank you for that. I, like, in, in, a, in, a, in a ward with... I don't know how many patients, but let's say six in a ward. Perhaps there's more, I want to correction on that. Two nurses and a care assistant in each ward. That's a good start anyway, isn't it? 
You have two nurses and a care assistant dedicated to each ward. We were in the Mercy uh, A&D Christmas Eve while while in the x-ray room waiting at around one in the morning. There was a man with, I'd say, serious mental health issues in his 30s wandering around in the doctor's examination area. There was a glass between us, but he was making gestures at us um, to let him in. There was also a woman with a young girl of 15 in the waiting area. We couldn't find anyone to tell. Uh, We were in a security door area and couldn't have gotten out if he happened to have got into us. It was very frightening and very intimidating. One final one. Uh, Condolences to the Healy family on the death of their father. Please spare a thought for the night staff who were on duty that night. They will be filling out forms and reports for weeks and weeks. And unfortunately, some may never return to work again making the staff shortages even worse. All these hurlers on the ditch commenting should just stop complaining and start volunteering for the health service. Are you insinuating that the staff were not vigilant by reporting uh, by reporting on air that the staff raced to the incident? Have you any idea the workload the night staff have? I advise maybe work a night shift and walk in their shoes. No wonder our medical staff are leaving. They're not getting the public's support, says Mary. You're entitled to your text. Thank you for it. Text 0868104106. Quick call just ahead of an ad break. Tony, good morning. How are you getting on? Good. You wanted to pick up on this. Go ahead. Yeah, um, as I commented yesterday on, on your page there, what I was saying is that, right, the HSE and the government are as responsible for this as what that young man is, right? Now, we don't know the... Again, let's leave that alone now yeah. because somebody will be before the courts, so we'll have to wait No, for I that know time. that, I know yeah. that. But, like, at the end of the day, every radio station in the country for months and even years, right, have been complaining about staff shortages right across the board, whether it be nurses, carers, consultants, security staff, whatever the case may be. This was... Something like this was always going to happen. Probably, in most of our minds, we probably didn't think it was going to be something as, as tragic as this. But something like this was always going to well, happen. Well, when we, we've, been war- we've been warned that people will die because of yeah. uh, shortages yeah. and mismanagement, but we never really thought this would be the kind of death. No, yeah. no. Yeah. But, like, in, in my honest opinion, genuinely, Stephen Donnelly should step down. He's responsible for this. It should, it has to go from the top. I work in construction, right? And if you start a job inside in Cork City or wherever it is, before any job can start, they have to do a complete list of things that might happen, right? And how it's, it's a risk assessment yes. of what might happen and the procedures in place to stop it happening, yeah. right? Yeah. And if they're not followed and there's an accident, the main contractor involved is responsible, whether it was a subcontractor that did something wrong or not. Same thing applies here. It always, has, it always has applied, um, but... On, on but, no, but nobody, nobody in power... Nobody in power or nobody that, that like the same with, with, with the cervical screening. Nobody's nobody's ever been held accountable for it. Yeah. Well you you heard a very sad case there just a few minutes ago of a mother sent home with paracetamol, turned out she had two clots on her lungs. Um yeah. I, I don't know whether that's you know bad medical practice or they're just so overwhelmed trying to deal with as many people that maybe they miss signs and send people home unwell in this case it's, nobody's it's blaming in this case with regards to the sad death of Matthew Healy nobody's blaming staff here this is a system issue if there wasn't oh, enough Christ. beds yes. in a psych unit you know that's my point but it, it's constant pressure and even we saw it not, not up to a couple of weeks ago right where the chief medical officer turned around and told staff that they were going to have to work all weekend to get the A&E's emptied 
right? Mm. How many people were sent home that were what they class as medically fit, right? If you pass a test, you're medically fit to go home. That well, might ne- not necessarily mean that you're that you're okay. Yeah. Whether yeah. it be mentally or whether it be physically, it makes no odds. Yeah. It's pressure. It's pressure. It's pressure. And it's pressure coming from the top on the staff inside in the wards. And it's not fair on the staff. Now, like, again, what happened happened and, and that young man will be held accountable. No, Ali, d- seriously, I can't even, even begin to even talk about that, about anybody's accountability or responsibility pending a court appearance. So um, like, we, we just can't go there. Um, however, you make an interesting point where you say that, unfortunately, people in healthcare have to make a call as to which bed to empty and which bed not Correct. to empty. And they may be forced to make a call on somebody who really isn't ready to go home or the facilities aren't in place. There mightn't be, you know, home help set up. There mightn't be meals and wheels. There mightn't be family. They may be living yep. alone. And that's awful. That's an awful call to have to make. It is. And I mean, you have to feel sorry for the staff because they're doing their very, very best. Like, well, I, I've seen it myself where, where a member of my family has been in hospital and the care that they get is unbelievable. Yeah. You yeah. have to take your hand off too. Yeah. For, for, for the pressure that they're under, the care that they actually give is outstanding. Yeah. You Good cannot point. fault them. Good point. Well but made. They're, they're under so much pressure. They're working 12, 14, 16 hour shifts and they have to because there's nobody there. The, the whole staffing situation is, is just mental. Like in, 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 in 2000, when Michal, when, when Michal Martin became Minister for Health, he was going to re- revolutionise the health care system in 2000. Here we are in 2023, and it's worse now than it was then. Maybe it's too big to fix. It's not. It's not. It's not. The problem is they don't care. They genuinely do not care. They have X and Y, and once once X is bigger than Y, they don't care where the money goes. They don't care. When you say All they, who's they? The government. Yeah. Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, whoever's That's, in power. Yeah, but, this has to change, like. Yeah. They're That's, all about lining their own pockets. That's all. And we all, we can all see that. Every, every couple of months, there's another scandal coming up that some politician has done something, hmm. whether it's Farrakh or Michael Martin or, or, or Pascal, uh, Pascal Dunner, whoever, yeah. whoever it is. Yeah, we'll see what he has Mary to say. Lou, it makes no odds. Yeah, yeah. It makes no odds. There's so much corruption at the top that it's affecting what's going on on the ground. It's affecting people's lives. No, I'm just wondering, because somebody, the health system is so huge and the HSE is so massive, that it just would be impossible, the scale of it, to fix it, you know? You wouldn't you break, know where you would you even down, start? Neil. You break it down. You break it down. You run it like a business, right? You run it like a business that's profitable, that gives good care. Yeah, yeah. Right? Okay. Th- that's the easiest way out of it. You have to, like, if, if somebody, something has to change in this country. Because more of this the kind of stuff is going to happen. Okay. Whether it be accidental deaths or whatever the case may be. Right? Okay. okay. More of this stuff is going to happen. Thanks, Unless Tony. it starts to change and change now. Thank you. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. Texter says, why aren't you blaming the government for all these problems with refugees and asylum seekers instead of blaming the refugees themselves? You just love stirring up racism and hatred. Again, that's your opinion. You're entitled to it. I don't agree with it. I'm just reporting the facts. I'm just reporting an incident in City West involving those that are here in the country uh, under international protection orders. I think it would be safe to suggest that maybe while here that people should behave. 
that's all. No more than that. Not apportioning blame on any group or any country in any way, shape or form. In fact, quite the opposite. Um, But I do believe that the story has to be reported. It happened. Unfortunately, it wasn't the first. God knows where this is going to go. But I think the least we'd expect is that people would behave. Uh, That's all I'm saying. Text 0868104106. I'm actually disgusted that this poor man and his family have to go through this, well, certainly the death of Matthew Healy. How can it happen in a hospital? The health system in this country is at its worst. I have to say you would be safer staying at home. Management heads should roll for this. And the worst part is they probably won't. And maybe it's fair to say that he won't be the last to die in hospital due to negligence. I am heartbroken. Um, uh, well, never forget when I went into hospital with my ankle broken, stayed for six hours in pain. There was an elderly man. Oh, yes, sorry, my apologies. That text may have come in twice. It was the text about the elderly man with gangrene. It's very disturbing. Um, the poor man, I can't imagine how his family are feeling. Serious questions need to be answered. A girl was assaulted in the CUH, CUH a few years ago, and now this? What has it come to? Uh, have we got to a stage where a family member or a friend has to stay with their loved one 24-7 when they're in hospital? My thoughts are with the family. Uh, listening to your show, I'm horrified but not surprised to hear someone... Uh, killed in one of our hospitals. I strongly believe it's time for the government to appoint an independent company to come in and clear the deadwood in the HSE, uh, up to and including ministers from the top down. Also, I think it's time for the defence forces to be present in the A&D and possibly maintain a presence on the wards as well. Wow. And to be deployed in the city streets where necessary and give the army the power of arrest. System is toxic and broken and some things have been normalised in hospitals that are certainly not good or safe practice. That's a strong text involving the army in different roles uh, and functions. Uh, back to the phone lines we go. Uh, Regina's on line four. Regina, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I, I, I'm going to chat away with you and see see how much okay. I can chat to you before 10. We may come back, but okay. it's a story involving your dad, is it? My dad, he's in the um, the accident emergency in COH since Saturday. Basically, do you mind me giving out his age? Because I see his age here. On he's the... 84. He's okay. 84. No problem with that. So he's been in the A&D, the ER, yeah. since, what, 65 hours? 65 hours and counting. Why? Yeah. Why? Because they don't have a bed for him. Okay. So okay. they said. All right. Yeah, and, and, and basically uh, he has private health insurance. I've asked for it. They they were saying when he went in first, he oh he could be transferred to the bonds. Has he got private health insurance? I said he does. Then the doctor came around and said, oh look, all his files are here. Um, he'd be better off here. So uh, that's what I can understand. I I asked this morning, please get him to the bonds. I mean, he's after a stroke. He can't walk. Hello? So he's had a stroke, he can't walk. He had he, he, had, was, he had a stroke in April, so he can't walk. So he's basically glued to that trolley. He can't get off that okay. trolley. And he came to the A&D at the CUH from his nursing home, his residential nursing care. Nursing home, yes. With and pneumonia. It's pneumonia and a urinary tract infection. And when he came from the nursing home, he actually, uh, CUH informed us that he had a bed sore, which we didn't know about. And now he is lying on a trolley with a bed sore. On his backside, basically, in where, pain. Where in the A and E is he? He is just moved off of the A and E. He's in the um, Blackwater Suite. It's called okay. basically a room. Basically and are there others in the same room? No, there's not. Like a small little room, is it? It's a small little room, yeah. Basically, yeah. But he's still on that trolley. Can you be with him? Oh, we can. My sister is there with him at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Since but Saturday, we have to be with him since Saturday. 
since Saturday afternoon. And is there any chance of him being moved to a ward or getting... I'm assuming he's getting the help that he needs. Is he being treated? He's getting... I can't say I can't say anything wrong about the staff. The staff are fantastic. He is getting the help he needs, but he... What concerns us, he's in pain. He has to be moved all the time. He's saying, oh, my backside is killing me from that bed sore. He's lying on a bed sore all the time. He can't move around. So he has to be turned every two hours. Well, it's nearly every hour because he's calling out in pain every hour. And how is he? How is he for fluids and water and food? Oh, and he's uh, yeah, he's grand that way. But I mean, he's he's gone off his food. No, because he's get, he's very agitated. And what's he saying agitated. about the situation himself, uh, Kieran? Uh, well, I mean, he's he's a small bit of dementia, but he's kind of all he's doing. He's saying, "Help me!" He's looking at me. Help me! God, you must feel helpless. I can't help him. I know. You must feel awful about that. Yeah. Because he's so vulnerable. I can't help him. Yeah. And what do you say to him when he says, help me? Well, I say we're doing the best we can. We're trying. We're ringing everyone we can. That's why we're ringing you. Yeah, yeah. And why won't they shift him to the bonds? Is there not a bed There's, in the bonds? There must be beds in the bonds, but they're saying his files are in CUH. And it would be more helpful if he was in COH. But at this day, I'm saying, is there not fantastic doctors in the bonds? Oh, but that's cruel, you know? like, in fairness. I hate using it's that word, but it is it's cruel, like, for a dad to be asking his I daughter mean, help me. I mean, like, I was always the one who was on to dad or get private health insurance. He's never used private health insurance in all the years he used it because he always ended up in COH and the A&E. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah, you want to have something seriously big wrong with you before health insurance actually kicks in. Uh, exactly. You know, exactly. the small stuff yeah. doesn't matter because they catch no. you with the... With payments yeah. you have to make yourself. You know exactly. the kind of stuff that they exactly. do? Yeah, we'll but cover no, that, but no you have to pay the, the first 250 and all this kind of stuff. But anyway, yeah, I'm going yeah. off topic. Yeah. yeah. That money, was fine money, on money. Saturday, but this is Tuesday morning. This is Tuesday morning. Yeah. But that's what I was saying, you know, all this thing about the elderly, you know, the, the management in CUH, they have a lot to answer for. They really do. And are they saying it's because they can't get a bed? They can't get a bed. I even asked would they bring a, an actual bed down to this little room and just transfer him onto the bed? So he, like in the nursing home, he's got one of these, you know, the air beds that, you know, that, you know, stops the pressure since he can't walk. Yeah. Stops the pressure on his body. But like he's on, the, like he's on a hard trolley since Saturday. With bed sore. Which is, with a bed sore. And he's 84, so I'm assuming he's fragile. He's 84. He has been through the mill. That poor man has been through the mill. He's after a stroke. He's after bowel cancer. And all this in the last two years. I wonder what he's thinking about all of that, having gone through everything he's gone through. I wonder how, how, is he thinking about that, you know? He he, he wants to die. He wants to die. Did he say that? Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. My sister, unfortunately, passed away two years ago and he keeps saying, why isn't she coming to get me? Take me out of this. Just take me out of this. Has he been saying that since he went into the COH? Uh, he's been saying, actually, God love him, he's been saying it since he went to that nursing home, but more so in the last, since Saturday. Isn't it very sad, it's, though, in his later life that so, he feels that way? It, you know, he worked hard and he's, the, you know, what they're saying about that poor man in the mercy is it resonates with me, with my dad, because he's such a kind, caring, he's such a lovable, a lovable man. He really is. He's a heart as big as, 
his biggest cork, but he, um, it's cruel. It's so what, undignified, isn't it, to treat people of Absolutely. any age, but particularly the elderly and the vulnerable, considering everything he's been through. Yeah. And here Absolutely. we are on Tuesday morning, and he's still on a trolley in the. And uh, he's still on a trolley. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you mind if we do you mind if we put in a call? I I don't know what. They will or won't say uh, to us, but you probably don't say anything to you. But yeah, you never know. You, you never know, and and sometimes when yeah. people come on air and chat to me, magic things tend to happen, you know, and that could be the yeah. case. Um, you yeah. never know yeah. who might yeah. even be listening to said, this conversation. Even just to get him older there, just to, you it's know, shocking, get him off it? that trolley. It's shocking. Absolutely, it's you know, it's just look after our elderly. They've no, I don't know. I really, they I need up. people I, advocating I on their behalf. Well, he's lucky he has you as a daughter. Listen, well, um, we'll be back to you. Do stay in touch if there's any updates okay. in the meantime. All right. Okay. All right. Thanks for Thank you, Neil. I appreciate it. Thank okay, you. Bye. Bye. Back after 10, text 0868104106. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features, and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Uh, and I spoke yesterday about the fact that I didn't give away the box of offbeat donuts because of the conversations we were having on air. Um, today's a good day to do it, though, um, in spite of the fact, of course, like that we're still dealing with some very difficult topics on the air. But uh, yesterday it got away from me. Apologies for that. So offbeat donuts have, again, given a box of donuts. Uh, there could be a dozen or more in there, and they're beautiful donuts, all sorts of different shapes and tastes and colorings and, uh, and ingredients. So delicious donuts for you and your crew. So you just got to let us know where you are, who you are, and where you are. So text 086-8104-106 and let us know why you deserve. The Red Patroller is delivering you a big box of donuts to your workplace, wherever the case may be courtesy of ourselves and offbeat donuts on French Church Street. So text on that, text 0868104106. On other conversations, or at least texts on different things this morning, uh, the Irish Examiner states that 90% of Ukrainian refugees will stay here after the war. Uh, 60% of, refu- of Ukrainians will end up staying here, you said. And you said that's okay. Well, I can tell you it's not okay. And that wasn't the plan from day one. The country is fecked in every way and bursting at the seams and you think it's okay for them to stay. Uh, others then on the state of the... Oh yes, somebody wondering, I was talking about uh, the uh, charges, some charges being scrapped within the hospitals. Uh, the A&E charge is €100. Euro. Is that going to be scrapped as you were talking about the inpatient fee which is €80 Euro per night. No, I don't know nothing at all. There's no mention about the A&E charge when you go through the A&E. What they're scrapping from April is the inpatient fee of €80 Euro a night up to a maximum of 10 nights, which means that that would save people €800 Euro if you were in there for 10 nights. You wouldn't be charged for the first 10 nights. I don't know what happens after that, but it's to a maximum of 10 days. The A&D charge was not mentioned in the Irish Times article, just the inpatient fee. This is going back years, uh, issues in our health system, and as a result of years of pay cuts and neglecting the nursing profession, uh, what did they think was going to happen? 10 years ago, uh, this they were talking of similar... Yeah, I mean, yes, but not a death and award like this. Year after year, no Irish students want to work here. Certainly not nurses. They're all leaving. Check the statistics of how many students are leaving. Uh, Morning. The hospitals haven't changed. My own nan died due to negligence in the bonds. She went in for surgery. They perforated her bowel, essentially, causing sepsis. She died a horrible, agonizing death, vomiting, 
her own faeces. My granddad was also treated terribly uh, by nurses in the Mercy. The last image I have of my grandfather is him screaming in agony as, na- as, nurse, as a nurse yanked him up out of bed. That image haunts me and I now have a bad taste in my mouth regards to the Irish service, Irish health service. Uh, I need to correct Neil, it was two nurses and a care assistant to a ward of numerous patients. Um, six in a room, but the wards are much bigger. Thank you for that. I wasn't quite sure as to how many patients would be in a room versus a ward. Clearly wards could have a lot more than six. Uh, why are they not assessing people coming to hospitals and giving them proper home helps, for instance? There are people in the community who can do this work, but private companies are getting the hours. The system is a complete mess. Incentivize home help support and people so people stay long-term uh, in their homes. Um, people are leaving in their droves. I can't come on air, must remain anonymous because the HSE won't let you speak to the media. Well, I always tell people who say they can't speak to the media, you can always speak anonymously. I will never share anybody's personal details if you have a story to share, ever. It's all down to this. We have less hospital beds than the 1980s. Our population has grown and now we have thousands of refugees on top of this. It's absolute madness. Uh, I remember back 25 years ago, I'd been in a hospital with a broken arm. I was there for 14 hours. It was the 1980s. It's gone one way and that's down the toilet. Um, if a greyhound with bed, it, it, if it was a greyhound, there'd be some racket. When it comes to our elderly, nobody gives a damn. This is not to knock doctors and nurses in our hospitals, uh, but our mother was sick for six years. We as a family knew there was something wrong, but the doctors couldn't find out why our mother was sick. Imagine being in a bed for six years, only going to and from the hospital. Eventually, our mother's GP sent our mother into the hospital to check for ovarian cancer. Sure enough, this was our mother's diagnosis. Our poor mother was so unwell once she was given the diagnosis uh, that they gave us the worst news. Uh, There was nothing they could do to help our mother. Eleven weeks our mother spent in Marymount until eventually the cancer won the battle. Imagine six years in and out of hospital and not one doctor could figure out our mother had a terminal illness. The worst thing that happened to the HSC is that we allowed our government to take away the four provincial services that existed. When we had the Southern Health Board, things were far better off. Okay, I'll get back to calls and texts, if you don't mind, just after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. All right, to the phone lines we go. Jackie, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. You wanted to pick up on a call before 10, was it? Yeah, I, 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 do you know what, Neil? I'm just heartbroken listening to that lady about her father. And, um, like, we were in a situation with my own dad. He used to this is Regina's dad, he, the 84-year-old dad, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. I was just saying to Seamus there, if I was that family, I would actually demand his file. And if I had to carry him out there on my back, I would. And go where? Into the bond. Yeah, no, but he'd need to be admitted, you see, and the one hospital would have to talk to the other to do that. So be it. He's her father at the end of the day, and there's nobody... Isn't it very sad that an 80-year-old man says, help me, help me, help me, to a daughter yeah. on yeah. a trolley? We, uh, oh, my God, it broke my heart, because we have been there with my own dad. He, he was never sick a day in his life, and Christmas five years ago, he went down to Mass, and something wasn't right. Um, we got him checked out, 
they was he what, in, in what sense now, right? Was he confused or, or what was it? He was confused, yes. My dad always wore a suit and his shirt and tie, obviously. And he went down to Mass and a neighbour was after spotting that his buttons weren't tied up. So, like, you know, we kind of knew then there was something Yeah, up. yeah, yeah. He's missing so, things, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we took him to our own GP, who I must say and it was very good. Got him checked out the first week in January. Um, the older adult um, unit is where he went. They told us everything was fine. My dad came out of there very happy, knowing that everything was well. But unfortunately, things kind of took a turn for the worse and everything went downhill. Then in the summertime, he was admitted to the psychiatric unit for five months, Neil. Where? Is that the Mercy or the CUH? The CUH. And why the psychiatric unit, you might be asking? Because he, he was just um, very, very agitated, um, worried that he couldn't pay the ESB bill, um, which wouldn't be the case at all. Um, you know, all all kinds of things. Everything was playing on his mind. Everything was stressing him out. I'm very yes. anxious, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. Very, very anxious. And stayed in bed a lot. All, all kinds of the uh, March, April, May. Um, he ended up going in in July. And he was in there till November. It's a long time in the psychiatric ward. Yeah, he wouldn't eat and drink for them. He would only do it for us. Um, now, this was pre-COVID, so obviously, like, I used to go over every meal time, and he'd eat away from me. I have two brothers, and they'd be into him. We used to take turns three times a day. We'd be in there for the meal times. Evening times, we'd be in with him. Now, I have to say, in the older adult psychiatric unit in the COH, it's upstairs. There's only eight beds. It's all closed off. They can't get out. Nobody can get in. It's very secure. Way too little beds, though. Way too little. Way too little. Dad was actually really, really lucky to get that one. Um, So... Five months he spent in there before they gave us the diagnosis of dementia. So when you got the diagnosis of dementia, did you ever think that actually he should never have been in the psychiatric unit? Totally. With with dementia? Yes. That it was a bed which he had and God knows he was entitled to it, but it actually wasn't the right place. Yes, yes. Um, we, We had this conversation Every two to three weeks, we'd have a team meeting with um, myself, my two brothers, the doctors, um, social workers, everybody who'd be involved in my dad's care would be there. Um, We'd voice our concerns. Uh, Now, they were good, but like it kind of took three and a half months before they actually sent him for a brain scan. Um, so then it was it kind of showed up in the, the brain scan that there was white matter around the brain, which indicated 
vascular dementia. So eventually we got dad home in the November and he was good. And um, but like from the dementia then my dad would have suffered from aspirational pneumonia, which just means that the swallow was he was losing the swallow and every time he took a drink or um would eat something, if it went down the wrong way, it would be stuck in one of the the tubes going into his lungs so he'd get an infection and he might end up in hospital or we might uh, you know have him at home and we'd get the antibiotics and stuff like that. Is he with you? He's at home in his own house. My brother lives with him but we take turns of taking him throughout the, the week so at this moment in time now, he's with my brother in Douglas since um, Friday. Yeah. Isn't the role and of family so important, if at all possible, isn't it? Oh, my God, you've no idea. I, I could be on the phone all day long to you. Um, and, and you wouldn't believe the stories. Dad ended up um, being admitted during COVID time um, with a severe chest infection. And the ambulance came, took Dad away, and we used ring, and we got on to his doctor. We got a 15-minute visit time with mm, him. No, I understand during COVID, yeah, it was very challenging, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but Neil, the problem I have here is I sent my dad in in that ambulance with all brand new pajamas and slippers and a dressing gown in his bag. And when I went in to see my dad... My dad was sitting there in a, a big high chair, kind of, you know, all kind of secure at the back. And he was in one of the hospital rooms. I know, I know, I know. Oh, it broke my heart. I know. I, 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 I didn't create him harder, but I, I had words with the staff. Um, oh, we'll dress him, we'll dress him. It's just very warm in here. But, like, I, I, I gave, you know, T-shirts, like, pyjama pants, everything. You would do, because, yeah, it's out of respect yeah. and love for your dad, I understand. Oh, I know, oh, I know. Uh, no, I was saying, I was saying, isn't the role of family so important where, it, if at all possible, that loved ones would take and mind their elderly parent or they would move in, you know, the way it used to be years ago. A lot of countries still would do that, that family would move in and try and uh, as best to keep a loved one at home, you know? I think that's a lovely thing, if at all possible. Oh, totally. And uh, as I said, like, there is nobody that knows my dad other than the three of us. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? We know know. exactly what he needs, what he wants, just to hold his hand, to rub his face. He's just so relaxed when he's with us. Yeah. You know, and you don't um, have to worry that he's alone or lonely or not being cared for, you know, looking yeah. for something and can't get it because you're there for him. The family are very strong like that. Jackie, thank you so much. I do appreciate you taking the call. Um, I just have a lot of calls this morning and a n- numerous texts that I'm trying to do my best to, to get on air. But I know that Peter has been holding for a while, so I apologize for keeping you, Peter. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm very interested in your thoughts because you're retired out of the HSE. Um, yes, were, I'm were retired you, about 
20 years. Okay, and were you, was that your lifelong career? It was. Okay, okay. And uh, as I said, I am so frustrated when I hear people coming on, like that last woman coming on there about her husband. I mean, the health services, there's a culture within the HSE, which was there 20 years ago when I retired. It is worse now. I mean, they have a way of irking responsibility. They apparently last year, there were five managers pointed to every doctor in the, in the HSE. And for every doctor no, in the HSE, there was five managers. Five managers. Yeah. I read that. That's the ratio, one to five, is it? That's one to five. And when it comes to accountability, there's nobody accountable for anything. You, you look at the cervical smear scandal, you look at CAMS, you look at any area where there has been problems. Nobody is accountable. I mean, what, what, what I cannot understand is we have, there's five million people in this country. There are two million on, on private health care. Why isn't there a private A&E in Cork City? Oh, did you just say a private A&E? A private from one of the there are two private hospitals in Cork yeah. why isn't there a 24 hour any available to private patients right. which would take the pressure off of the CUH and the Mercy I mean say if, if, I don't know I don't know that the likes of Leia or VHI would be would sign up for something like that it would cost them a fortune wouldn't it yes but I mean if they I mean if the government uh, uh, you know supported them and you know, to take the pressure off of the, 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 the public hospitals. So take private I mean, healthcare out of public hospitals? Yes. Yeah. And, and like, even, even if you had a situation where, where there was an emergency, that the private hospitals would take a public patient as well. I mean, they are taking beds in, in, the, in the private hospitals. The, the government are, are leasing these beds in, in, in the yeah, private hospitals. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if you had a situation there where basically, you know... Um, you, 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 you had a, a, a 24-hour private A&E in, in, in Cork City. You Say in a matter or in, a, in the bonds, for instance. Yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, I can't see why not. I mean, I cannot see why not, even if they were to be supported financially by the government. I mean, like, what surprises me then as well is the media, you know, what has happened over the last couple of weeks I mean, it, 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 it's, it's aired on the news every single night. Now, people went out marching last weekend. And I don't think they got the media cover, coverage that they should have got. This, the HSE, with the way they're carrying on, it's a net, the health services here is a national scandal. Because, I mean, I, I, I live on a farm now. And if I call a vet, I have a vet in the yard within an hour, yeah. or maybe two hours. Yeah. I mean, there were two local people here recently at Christmas, two elderly people who looked for a, a GP, they could not access care from a GP uh, at Christmas. One waited eight hours for an ambulance. Another waited six hours. I mean... God I, knows I, I, where those ambulances came from, incidentally. It probably exactly. came from miles exactly. and miles away, a different county probably. And I mean, the thing is, there is a culture within the HSE, and this, this really got to me when I worked for the HSE. There's a culture within which is still there. And it's a case of, you know, everything is done by the book. Common sense does not prevail with any of the decisions they make. But you have I mean, to have I'm systems, don't you? Particularly in healthcare, you have you, to you keep have records. To you do. But common sense with decisions does not uh, uh, exist in the HSE. I mean, like 
you see, I, I, I listened to that woman there now, a heartbroken woman about her husband. Or dad. I, I had an aunt that uh, went into hospital during the pandemic. She was not capable of feeding herself. Uh, she, when she was uh, discharged from the hospital, she was four stone weight. And she was brought home to her family. And she lasted about nine months. And this woman was working the day she went, before she went into hospital. And she appeared back at home. She was four stone weight when they brought her out. Because her meals were put up in front of I her. Know. Nobody fed her. Yeah. Nobody was allowed into her. And I mean, you're talking about human beings. What I is mean, that policy know? that I'm hearing about for years where meals are put down in front of patients? Do they not know that they they can't feed themselves, or do, do is there nobody assigned to help? It's food, like it's a basic dignity, it's a basic human it right. It is. It's a human right, and it's a total lack of respect for people. And I mean, what's happening is there's a lack of respect for people. But I don't know about that and because if you have a shortage of staff in all different areas of it, you like and nurses are going loop the loop busy. That's what we're being told, right? And who am I to discredit it in spite of the text that I say to the opposite from time to time that I see? But but it's not like that would not be a nurse's responsibility to feed patients. That would be surely a different department. It's, it's, It's the government. It's the Department of Health and it's the government. And it's, 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 you know, the health minister. Like, the, the, we have a government who have a duty of care under the constitution to its its people and basically we've got to a stage now where this has gone very very serious Did you uh, find that there was too much admin that there was too much management oh, and were you questioning it. exactly what they all did? Oh yes, oh definitely I mean I would say that even back 20 years ago Neil the, the administrative was, administration was top heavy but now you see you have no you, you have all chiefs now and no Indians in the administration and nobody's accountable for anything and like you know you've changes in the CEO of the the HSE there every you know two to three years and you know, you're hoping that the, the next fellow will sort things out and what happens and to them if they go into the job with the best will in the world do they do they get a wake up call that it's unfixable or what they probably get a wake up call that the, the Department of Health, there are people, you know, the government departments, that there is no, you can't move nor, nor, nor change people's opinions about certain things. But, like, we're talking. You might about have the best know. will in the world, but maybe the civil service aspect of it is not susceptible to change or something. No. no. Yeah. They, 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 and, and I think that's the problem. I, it's the civil service, and it's the people who are put into these positions in administration. They would have absolutely no medical background whatsoever. And they would be doing everything by the book. And I mean, you know, you see a doctor there, a doctor has to use common sense. If a doctor has not common sense about treating a patient, then, you know, there'd be a lot more patients. Yeah, but why would you have a uh, gentleman inside in a psych ward in the CUH for five months um, and then after five months discover that it was dementia? She'd never been in there in the first place. No, no. no. So where's the common sense in that? Yeah. The, but, but the thing is, like, doctors are wrong too. I mean... Doctors, you say you give control of it to doctors. I mean, if you give control of it to doctors, then you know they're going to feather their own corner. And it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, I even see it in the private care now as well. I mean, it's a case of it's a lot. It's a thirty percent of the procedures done under private care are not necessary. 
30% of procedures done on people, then they are not... Why are they being done if they're unnecessary? Because they're done because of pound, shillings and pence. Yeah. yeah. Is that an accurate stat? Yeah, 30% of them are unnecessary yeah. work. Yeah. yeah. I read that somewhere, yeah. Yeah. The there could be alternatives to, to, to surgery. Exactly. Exactly. But going back to, to, to people like, going back to the HSE and administration, I mean, that, that was just my problem when I worked with them. Like, they were just totally impossible. Like, they were, they, to get a decision, to get uh, somebody to see the common sense of, of, of doing something was just totally impossible. It either never happened or it took forever to happen. Exactly. Forever to happen. Yeah, yeah. And well, maybe sometimes never happened. Well, and, like, this is why there are so many administrators there then, like, because accountability then is, is sort of spread out between so many people and you can't, you can't identify one particular person. And does that then or, breed a climate of keep your head down and do, do your job and just stay within your lane and don't oh, get involved? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, definitely. I mean, that is the culture, that you do your day's work and you, you keep your head down, you do your sort of nine to five, and, and you close the door after that. And, and uh, that's it. But there must no. be a portion of people who can't do that. They just get frustrated and leave. Well, they do. There are certain, and I, I've known So the best would leave then, wouldn't they? They would, yeah. They would, because, I mean, you, you're going to have people, if they can get away without, without, you know, doing sort of something work, they're going to, you know, they're going to stay in their job. And yeah, but who'd want to live in it? Who'd want to work in a job where you're just doing the bare minimum? Where's the I satisfaction mean, in that? There is no satisfaction in it. I mean, there's absolutely no satisfaction, but that is what is happening. And I mean, I think the HSE should be disbanded completely. And I think it should be just stripped down and, you know, uh, a new body, a, a local body for each hospital and for each health area. Health okay, area. okay. It's ridiculous. It's and a good ridiculous. way to start would be private A&D for private patients. Yes. Okay, yes. okay, okay. Thanks, Peter. Much obliged. Text 0868-104-106. I think he'd say also, if it was that way 20 years ago, think about what it'd be like if you were working there now. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Uh, the practice of putting psychological patients in general wards has been going on for years. At the mercy, I've witnessed it firsthand. Unfortunately, it takes the death of this poor man to highlight it. Can I just say that we don't know, actually, the reasons behind um, as to who was in what ward and, and uh, why. Uh, we'll have to find out with regards to these uh, investigations that will take place. My daughter's a staff nurse in the Mercy. Only last Saturday night she came home crying and stressed as the wards are totally understaffed and there's very little support from management. She's now talking about leaving and moving to Australia. My sister had a stroke years ago. In her ward in the Mercy, a psychiatric patient was screaming and shouting day and night. We expressed her concerns for our sister's welfare, and we were told to literally mind our own business. It's madness in the Mercy, especially in the A and E. Uh, all hospitals and staff are run off their feet, as you know, but I can guarantee you not one member of any politician's family would be treated in a public hospital in any county. So they have no idea and never will what's going on and will pass the buck to someone else to deal with it. Uh, you've been people texting about who to blame. Um, the system uh, may be failing, but the HSC, the minister, the hospital management or hospital staff are not responsible for this. Somebody else says this was a random attack, a random attack. Some great hindsight commentators out there. Um, maybe we should be looking at aggressors rather 
than the system. Uh, that poor Mr. Healy, just take a minute and think. Imagine Mr. Healy's children getting that phone call to say your father was killed while an impatient in a hospital. You've also just buried your mother less than three weeks before. It is horrendous. How are you meant to get over that? There is nothing about the health service that is working. Nothing. The current government needs to go. People need to get out on the streets to get them out. People are sitting back for far too long. And just one or two more. I had an elderly parent in the Mercy a couple of months ago. And what I saw there, you couldn't make it up. Um, This is the opinion now of a texter who says the nurses are never in the wards. They only come when they're doing the changeover. When I did go looking for a nurse to ask about my parent, she said to ask the doctor, who was nowhere to be seen. It was a nightmare. I hope I never have to go to that hospital. Uh, my family had problems with the healthcare system. My grandfather was in hospital over Christmas, five days delayed in going to ICU. Unfortunately, he passed away in the new year as a surprise to all of us. Nobody was answering phones. Nobody was ringing the families, loved ones. Nobody. We didn't know how he was over Christmas. We were refused from seeing him from the very start. Our hearts were broken. I can't imagine getting a phone call like the Healy's must have got. It's very upsetting. Your family is supposed to be safe and staff have a duty of care. So thank you for all of those. There are many more and I'll delve back into them between now and midday. You can always get in touch by email to neil at uh, redfm.ie. Sarah, good morning. Can you hear me all right? Yeah. Okay. I just don't know if that's a great phone line. Um, can I can I just ask you a couple of questions before I chat to you? Is is your son in the care of uh, the uh, Tusla or the HSC? Has your son no. gotten assigned social work or anything like that? No, he hasn't. Okay. So no one is assigned to his case from Tusla, well, HSC. The or- division there contacted me yesterday. No, I know, I, I, no, I know, but I just need to know, there is no care order regarding your son's care no. with with Tusla or a social worker hasn't been assigned to him? No. Okay. Okay. I'm not sure about this phone line, Sarah. Let's let's try anyway. T- tell us about the situation regarding, because he has, um, he, he's on the autism spectrum, has learning difficulties, ADHD, OCD, he's carrying a lot, isn't he? He has, yeah, he's, he's very tough time at the moment Neil. Okay. Um, my son has been to school since last year for 10 days only 10 days only 10 days there's no transport for my son for school is it a special needs school it's a special needs school Neil. okay um, and what what kind of transport should there be I mean how, how did you get him to school for the 10 days that he went well he was on transport but he was uh, he was kicked off the transport because they said he was a danger to himself and others. Okay, this was the was this a, an assigned bus? This was an assigned bus. Uh, when they eventually decided to come and get my son, he only went to school for ten days, and he was kicked off the bus. Okay, why? What happened? Um, he was banging his head on the window. Well, it took a long time for the transport to even be put in place, Neil, and my son was struggling as it was, you know. So it was a new situation for Sean as well in a new school. So it was all very new to Sean, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it was really hard on him. And but what happened, on the, what happened on the bus that would lead to him being told you can't use yeah, the bus? He was banging his head on the window, Neil, of the bus. But there was no one looking after my son. It meant to be an escort on the bus to mind my son, to stop my son from being able to do that. Yeah. My son went to school for seven years on transport to Skullcarra, you know what I mean? That was his previous school. And what kind of transport was that? Um, he was on a bus. Okay. He used to come every morning and collect the meat. And how many other kids would be on the bus? 
um, there was two or three other kids on the bus. Okay. Did he hurt any of the other children on the bus? He didn't hurt the children on the bus, no. It just says here that the, that the, the suspension from the bus was because of assaulting another student. Is that not accurate? No, my, my son was suspended from the special needs school for assault. Oh, what happened? Okay, so what then happened in the school? Well, my son was um, in school and the teacher rang me, Neil, and said that basically there was an incident where Sean was, well, what he basically said to me was they were still getting to know my son and that he was having a bit of a meltdown and one of the SNAs thought that he was finished and when she bent down to see if he was okay, their heads collided, is what I was told first. And subsequent to that, was, was were you told anything about another student being hurt or anything? No, not a student, um, an SNA. Okay, it just says here he was suspended from the school for assaulting another student, possibly assaulting, due to... No, assaulting an SNA. Okay, so now is he home all the time now? My son has been home all the time. He's been to school 10 days. And how is he after. coping now at home my all of the time? My son is not coping very well. Uh, my son is up all night. It's affecting, like, he's, med- he's heavily medicated. And for the simple fact that he's, the only fact that he's medicated as much is because there is no transport for my son. Yeah, he because says he has he's... no routine. He has no structure. My son has no support. Yeah. My son has no support at all, Neil. Do you know what I mean? It's just I'm 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 begging for help, Neil. I rang Tusla. I've begged, I've pleaded for help for my child. And they told me it's not their job. It's not their job to help my uh, to help my son because he's not in danger. But he is in danger. Is he self harming? He's self harming. My son's black and blue. He's scared. My son, listen, Neil, I'm struggling and I'm begging for help. And nobody's listening. So he's banging his head a lot. He's up all night. It's having a ripple effect on my whole family. My little girl, I'm dressing up for school. She's only after starting junior infants. She's falling asleep in the morning with her tights and her pinafore on her nail. Is she? How is this fair? How is, is it fair? How can the government justify what they're doing to my child? She's falling asleep in the morning putting on a uniform because she's not getting any sleep. None of us are getting sleep. This has gone on since last year, since he was meant to start school in the end of August. You sound frazzled to me, for sure you do. Yeah. I'm only one person at the end of the day begging for help. I rang Tusla, I'm a mother, I had to ring Tusla and I begged and I pleaded and they told me it's not their job. It's not their job to find him a school, it's not their job to find him a place on the bus. He has no transport to school in. Yeah, so the placement in the school is secured, is it? Yeah. That's okay, yeah, that's okay. Um, and how many kids have you got? Six. And how are the rest? Are they all school-going age? No, my I've all well, most of them are school-going age. They're bigger kids, you know, they're teenagers, Neil. Yep. The older ones. Yeah. It's, it's, listen, it's affecting my whole family, Neil. I'm struggling, and I promise you I'm struggling. I'm begging for help for my son. Yeah. There's no support for my son. I'm an Irish citizen, my son is an Irish citizen, I'm living in Middleton all my life. I'm, listen, Neil, I'm in Middleton, I'm watching Ukraines being picked up in Trebolligan, getting brought into post office to collect their few pounds. I know. My son, they don't have funds for my son, though. 
If you were never bitter, Neil, they'd put you bitter. Well, that's very true. If you never were before, they'd give you plenty of excuses to be bitter. My, listen, Neil, how is it fair? How can they justify what they're doing to my little boy? Yeah, I know. It's it, 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 it's hard to work it out, isn't it? When, where's the equality? Where's the equality for the Irish? Where's the equality for the Irish? My son, if I came in on a boat in the morning, Neil, my son would get all the help he needs. Listen, I'm facting rates. I'm only stating facts here. I'm only stating facts. And uh, you know when you talk about the children of the refugees who are here from, from Ukraine, are they picked up in buses and brought to school? I can hope they're brought to school, but I know they're brought in to collect their money. Oh no, I've seen coaches. Uh, I have seen. Um, I've seen Ukrainian families. Saw, saw them recently in, in South Kerry. There, there are coaches that pick them up at the different housing estates they're staying in, or the holiday villages that they're staying in. I'm not 100 percent sure where they're taking them, but there is regular transport taking them to and fro. <clears throat> Mind you. They have awfully, awfully long, dull days. They have absolutely nothing to do except traipse the roads. I mean, you wouldn't wish it on anyone what you see them doing, just hanging around all day. But that's not your problem at this point in time. No, it's not my problem. Listen, Neil, I don't know what to do for my son. I can't do any more for my son. I'm sick of begging. I'm down my knees but begging. But surely, surely, if, surely the, the fact that he was banging his head, that's a, that's a, that's a condition of autism, isn't it? Um, yeah, that, that's, that's a regular thing. Yeah, but that you. shouldn't be a reason for him to be not not allowed to use the bus. I know that, Neil. I know that you know that. But listen, is I it a know. special needs bus or is it a, a regular bus errand bus? Special needs bus. Yeah, I w- I I wouldn't have thought that would have been a reason for him to be told that he can no longer take the bus. Like, what that would tell me is that he needs a little bit of help and care when he's taking the bus. Exactly. You know, they just need to take the time to, for my son to settle down, you know, before they take off. Yeah. Like, you know, he's not a danger, like. Well, that's what they said he was, Neil. But he has autism. He's learning difficulties. He's ADHD. He's OCD. He's got a lot of crosses to carry for a young lad. Of course he does, Neil. But like they don't seem to understand or they don't seem to care. And what are, what are they saying? Um, just keep them at home? Oh, no. But, um, they rang me yesterday, Neil, because they heard that I was going to go on Red FM. And my son's transport was granted. He's been granted individual transport, but I won't hold my breath, Neil. Ah, well, yeah. at least that's a turn-up for the best. For the, that's it's a, a turn-up, Neil. They, they, they only put in the application on the 15th of December. What were they doing the whole time until the 15th of December? Okay. And when have they what said... What were it they would, doing? Yeah, what, when... It's a struggle as a parent, I know. It seems as if you have to fight for every single thing here. My son doesn't go to sleep till five or six o'clock in the morning, Neil. And how do you cope? I mean, you must be completely worn out. I, I have no choice. I have no choice. I'm just left here. No, they don't care. But they don't that, care. Okay, but you're not the only adult in the house to do all of this, are you? No. But it's like, my my son is looking for me, Neil. I'm his mother. I know, I know. You know, this, it doesn't matter if there was 20 people in the house to help me. I know, I know. So, because when he, he just wants me. But, the, but his place in the school is okay? He has a placement in the okay. school, but you know... So you'd like to know when will the transport kick in? So this would be probably a taxi with a, a, an SNA, is it? Yeah. Or with an escort, I should say. An escort, yeah. Yeah. You don't have a date for that? 
No, it's just been it's just been granted since yesterday. I was informed that. And, and who granted it? The government. And but was that through Tusla? No, it wasn't through Tusla. Tusla wouldn't. Tosla okay. Won't right. do nothing. Okay. All right. So it's through it's through Boss Aaron who have the contract yeah. for it. Yeah. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to, if we could find out when that would start. I mean, I won't be holding my breath, Neil. My son, do you know what I mean? His mental health is badly, Adam. My son is black and blue. I'm looking at a shell. No shell of my son. It's not one bit fair. It's not fair because they're helpful to others, but not to you, to, to you or to Irish people. They're not helpful to Irish people. Like, do you know what I mean? My son has special needs. He's a vulnerable child and they won't even give him, what, my son, I don't want any special treatment for my child. All I'm asking for is, do you know, his basic right and education is that much to ask for. And do you worry about when he gets older and bigger and stronger? Of course I do. I know, I know. My son is attacking me, is attacking everyone, he's hurting himself. I know. And I'm just left here on my own, just to watch, just get on with it. I know. Sounds to me as if your life is a constant struggle. Oh, you may be sure it is, Neil. Doesn't but so why sound... would they care? It doesn't affect their lives above the government. So why would they care? They don't. It doesn't affect their life. Then my son is only a box. Tick the box there, a number. That's all my son is to them. Do you have anything at all? Is there any happiness in your life at all? Any, anything to look forward to? No? What was Christmas like, for instance? It wasn't easy, Neil. Yeah. My child, you know what I mean? The struggle again. Everything's a struggle. Yeah. 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 A lovely text here actually says, uh, I'm listening here. My heart goes out uh, to Sarah and her family. I'm a neighbour of Sarah's and she and her husband are wonderful parents. They're a lovely family. It's a terrible situation in this day and age. So that's a kind thing, isn't it, for a neighbour to say, Sarah? Yeah. Oh, Neil, look, I just don't know what to do. Oh, well, let's find you know out I mean? when I wouldn't the... like to be a young girl struggling. You know, I wouldn't like to be a young girl at age struggling and begging for help. Because you know what? I won't give you much of a heart, Neil. I can understand why you feel let down and bitter. Let, let's see if um, we can find out exactly when that transport will kick in. It'd be great to get that answer and to get a date. All I'd love to know because they can't tell me anything, Neil. My son was lost in a list for the East Cork support team and they, it took him a long time to even admit that my son was lost on the list. Yeah, but you didn't give up, in fairness to you. I'm my son's wife, Neil. What am I meant to do? If no. I don't speak up for my child, who will? I know. And in fairness to you, you're doing that. You're not holding back. All right, we'll be back to you, Sarah. We'll be back to you if we can get an answer to that. All right, right, take care for now. Take care. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 4 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Frienderville Show Yeah, in happier news a box of offbeat donuts those circles of obsessions could be delivered to you today courtesy of the Red FM patrollers if you tell us who you are and where you are and why you deserve our box of offbeat donuts from the shop on French Church Street In other news just a, a selection of emails and different topics Bernie says uh, you talk about things going from bad to worse I just saw two thugs her word thugs injecting heroin down a laneway by pennies this morning in the city centre country's gone to the dogs and that old man attacked in the Mercy Hospital yeah it's interesting I mean they were injecting heroin but I wonder is it fair to call them thugs I know 
I know uh, that that a lot of the time is a term that is used quite broadly. Um, but thugs, I mean, they're like, okay, if, if it leads to criminality and leads to theft and robbery and assaults and everything, then that is thuggery. But unfortunately, some of them are just absolute misfortunes who just went down the wrong path. It's just my own thoughts on it anyway. Just want to let you know, I called into my local, I called into my local social welfare office last week. Um, it says here I called in, but then it says I rang them as a tested positive for COVID-19. I did, I did an online banking check only to discover I got zero payment today. Uh, oh, sorry. You were supposed to call, I think that should say, into your local social welfare office. Um, got COVID, rang them, and then no money, no payment. I totally rely on this payment to support my children and to pay my bills. I have 10 euro in my wallet now. How am I supposed to survive the week? Don't go about my details, but any advice would be welcome. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I like, I certainly would be wrecking their heads on the phone. Seriously, I would, because do, do people ever think when they make a decision like that? Um, okay, you didn't call in, so we're stopping the payment. Do they ever think the consequences for the person's life or the life of their children? You know, paying bills, putting food on the table. I mean, it's inhumane. Um, first and only time I've called, I've got in touch with the radio station. I just wanted to say that my daughter and myself were in the CUMH over the weekend and the care we got in the triage rooms was outstanding. Uh, upon investigation, it was decided we should move from the CUMH to the CUH, which was handled with so much ease to both of us. Upon arrival at the Puffin Ward in the CUH, we were greeted by the most amazing staff. Caring and beyond belief. It literally blew us away. Their kindness and and compassion was second to none. I just wanted to highlight this in a time when the health system is under so much pressure and criticism. It's the kindness and goodness of the staff who actually want to be there so much that we appreciate so much in return, says Michelle. Thank you for that. And the head wrecking with regards to NCTs continues. Your NCT might be up, right, on the first day of February. But if you don't manage to get an NCT test until June, and they do it in June, your cert does not start in June, right? And run out the following June. It starts from the Fed February of the first due date. I only mention that because Viv was in touch. My son had an NCT last August 2020. The earliest date he could get was January 23. Grand, he got the car done, uh, passed the NCT, and now got the new cert. August 2023. Shouldn't it be January 2024 when he was first told that it was up for renewal? As it stands, his cert is only valid for seven months. I know it is a frustrating head wreck because it is not of the people and the motorists making. So it should be a 12 months cert. I get that. And then Stephen makes an interesting observation. I don't know whether you agree or disagree with him. He says, I have been a listener of your radio show for quite some time now, but I have grown increasingly frustrated with your constant overindulgence in nostalgia, particularly with elderly callers. Your show is supposed to be entertaining and informative, but instead it has become a platform for reminiscing about times past. Not only is this type of content uninteresting and unengaging, but it alienates a large portion of your audience who are not interested in nostalgia. Furthermore, it perpetuates the stereotype that older people are only interested in reminiscing about the past, which is simply not true. I strongly urge you to reconsider the content of your show and make an effort to include more diverse and relevant topics that appeal to a wider audience. 
Your listeners deserve better than to be constantly bombarded with nostalgia. Yours sincerely, Stephen C. I um, hope I'm pronouncing your surname right. Term fan. I appreciate it, and I hope that you do stay listening. You have a point of view. I'm curious to know how many other people would agree that I do too much nostalgia, too much reminiscing, and give too much of a platform to the elderly community to share their own stories. Agree or disagree? Text 0868104106. Back to the phone lines we go, and you did hear just there in the 11 o'clock news with Lana O'Connor, um, Jamie O'Hara was in Cork District Court this morning um, for a very, very serious court appearance uh, where, in fact, um, I, I actually, you know what? I'll just go straight to Jamie. You can fill it in. You can fill us in. I just need to get my hands on his. I have them here on his court copy. Jamie, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Thank you so much. Um, now, I know that a man who was charged with the murder of 89-year-old Matthew Healy at the Mercy was remanded to Cork Prison this morning. What's the story behind that? That's right. 30-year-old Dylan McGee, he's of 30 Churchfield Green in the city. He appeared at Cork District Court this morning, charged with one count of murder of Matthew Healy at Room 2 St. Joseph's Ward, the Mercy University Hospital, on the 22nd of January. It was the early hours of Sunday morning. And Detective Garda Morris O'Connor from the Bridewell Garda Station, he gave evidence of arrest charge and caution and he said that McGee had made no reply when the charge of caution was put to him. And Defence Solicitor Frank Bottomer said that his client is in receipt of a disability allowance and he requested free legal aid, which Judge Olin Keller granted him. And he said he also had Frank medical Butter. difficulties, I think, did he? Yes, that's right. He said he had certain medical difficulties of a psychiatric nature and he requested that um, McGee receive all necessary medical treatment while in custody and that was also granted and Judge Kelleher remanded McGee in custody. He's due to appear in court again next Monday. That'll be via video link from Cork Prison. As we know, with charges of murder, there's no bail given at district court level. It would have to be applied for at the high court level. Um, So what happens next now? There would be a video link um, again Monday where Dylan McGee would be in Cork Prison and there would be another hearing, is it, before the same judge? Yes, it will be before the same judge next Monday morning via video link and it could just be a continuation of remand essentially. Um, Cases like this, you know, they take an awful lot of time to put together and um, he would just have to remain in custody. Okay, who, who, was, who was in court this morning besides Dylan McGee? Say, for instance, obviously, media were there, defence solicitor. Was there family there? Was it, is, was, it, was it a closed court? No, it was open. You can walk into any court at any time. Um, so, like you said, uh, defence solicitor was there, Dylan McGee was there. I didn't see any of Matthew Heal's family there. And um, I didn't really notice anyone else okay. in the okay. court. Okay. So, can you talk at all to the investigations that have kicked in now following the death of um, um, Matthew Healy? Say, for instance, from the point of view of the Ungarda Shikona, which this is ongoing, obviously, but say the HSC or the Mercy itself. Well, the Gardaí will be talking to witnesses, reviewing any CCTV footage. It was a six-bed ward at the Mercy University Hospital, and a number of patients and staff would have would have would have uh, witnessed um, what was going on. So, Gardaí will have spoken to them, and they will have spoken to Dylan McGee. Um, in terms of the HSC and the Mercy, the INMO are now calling for a full security audit. What does that mean when they say a full security? They're questioning the security staffing levels in hospitals, is it, Jamie? 
Well, essentially they're saying that a review of the full security measures, so all security measures in place at Irish hospitals, be it secure, actual people working in security on the hospitals or CCTV, they are going to be, they are calling for a full review of all security measures in every Irish hospital. Yeah. I spoke to the IMO yesterday. They said um, a review hasn't taken place since 2016 and they're saying that now is the time following this tragedy for an urgent security audit to take place at every hospital. And, and you're wondering, actually, if there was a review in 2016, what was done in 2016 to make it better as well, yeah? Absolutely, absolutely. And were the were the recommendations in that audit, were they implemented? This is, again, this is going to take some time um, to, to do that. Obviously, we know there are loads of hospitals in Ireland mm. and it's just going to have to be a very, very thorough security audit. Okay, okay. Thanks for the update, Jamie. Do appreciate it. Jamie O'Hara from the Red FM newsroom. Dylan McGee charged with the murder of 89-year-old Matthew Healy at the Mercy University Hospital in the early hours of the 22nd of January. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 Red FM. Okay, I will come back to other texts, I promise, particularly with regards to the health system and that misfortunate uh, story there with the mother and her son. A lot of texts on that. Uh, the gov- However, in other news, the government's refugee plan has now been revealed for what it is. We were led to believe that we were helping people flee war or not affecting our own housing crisis and our own jobs. Uh, please give our own a vision of a bright future. You just heard it with that mother on air. Uh, 90% of Ukraine is unaffected by the so-called war. There's plenty of room for them there. As one of your callers rang a hotel in Kiev. Ah, that was a long time ago, but yeah, I know. Yeah. We have uh, people escaping poverty who are economic refugees coming here, getting full pensions and medical cards, but never contributing to the country, while Irish people are competing for dwindling services. I'm against them coming here, and I know full well that I'm in the majority. Martin and Leo are treating immigrants above and beyond the Irish people. So that's just a, a selection. There are more like that. Um, and I think those texts are coming in again because of a fight which broke out at the City West Transit Hub. Um, and Jonathan says that we need to be talking about that. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to talk about any topic of conversation. This is a rather divisive one, I have to say, though. Jonathan, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you doing? I'm good. It is very divisive because uh, no matter you know what angle I take regarding the current situation, whether it's refugees, asylum seekers, or in the case of where you're talking about in City West, international protection orders. Uh, why do we need to get that conversation going again? I think we need to get it going, Neil, because like, we need we need some common sense in this country. It seems to be where the, the media, the mainstream media, to be fair, Neil, Red FM has been very good in uh, getting this conversation going. And uh, But the mainstream media have gone bonkers. And it's like, I'm just looking at some reports there now on the examiner, you know, Three people, a fight broke out between three people. That is, not only is it inaccurate, it's flat out wrong. Because I watched the videos last night. So did I. It was a full-on riot, Neil. It looked looked to me as if there was a lot more than three people moving around anyway, for sure, or darting around, right? Exactly, Neil. There was chairs, tables flying, bottles of water being flung at people. Like, I mean, if one of those hits you on the head, like, it's, it's game over. Like, I mean, so, look... The media now need to be brought to bear with this. They need to start telling the truth to the Irish people. Which is what? I mean, but like, because there has been some 
pushback already this morning saying you can't keep people in these cramped conditions like City West and not expect something to kick off or tempers to get frayed. Yeah, but Neil, like, that's, like, I mean, they make that point, but that's just putting a sticky plaster on something. And, it, like, you know, we keep putting plasters on a problem that these politicians have created. Like, I mean, look, the fact of the matter is, Neil, we cannot have, this is unsustainable. Anybody thinking rationally, looking at this, it's unsustainable, and it's going to end in societal collapse of our country. Mm, that's, 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 just, that's a bit extreme, though, isn't it, to say no, it was... But, but Neil, Neil, how in the name of God are we going to keep taking in hundreds of thousands of people into this country? And they're saying there's no cap, there's, there's a housing crisis, nobody can be housed. They're bringing in all these people, they're, they're throwing their documents away. Now, I'm looking at uh, an article here now from the Daily Mail, Neil, right? Albanians gang launched TikTok advertising blitz offering stowaway lorry trips to the UK for 18 grand a pop as they boast of 100% success. Gangs are offering stowaway lorry trips and flights using fake EU passports. Now, all of these people, Neil, are coming then from the UK over to Ireland. Well, a portion, a portion of them, a portion a, of them. A portion yeah. of them, yeah. But like, Neil, as I said... I didn't, there was no women and children in City West last night. It was all single male. Because it's a different, si- it's a different system of arrival. You you know that, don't? You? It's an yeah. international protection order, um, and yeah. and that and that can be. That's a risky business in international protection orders because you literally don't know who's coming off the planes. What's their yeah. background or what documentation they have? Ukrainian refugees or asylum seekers coming here have a different process, you know, with regards to direct provision. Yeah. Um, the, the issue recent, recently has not just been City West, but also Killarney, right? Because there was upwards of 20 involved and it was described yeah. at the time as a serious public order incident. It was a lot worse than that. I mean, if I remember correctly, there were knives used, wasn't there? Oh, there was. There was knives used and everything. I mean, like, listen, we are creating... Like a catastrophe is it's waiting to happen in this country, and I'm looking forward and I'm thinking this is going to end in like a disaster for Ireland. Like, and not only a disaster, but like the Irish people, we are a sovereign nation. We're sovereign people, and like they're they're discriminating against the Irish people. No, no, Neil, I, I'm not going to go into the vaccination and all this crap. But I didn't get vaccinated, right? And I was barred out of a pub that my dad got arrested and brought me into when I was a small lad yeah. at two years of age. Yeah. You know? Well, it was about out. you. Listen, why are we even revisiting that? We we all know yeah, about well, you know the regulations. I, know, but I just I just want to make a comparison, Neil. So I was banned from my local pubs, gyms, restaurants, what have you. But now you have a situation where people are coming into the country with no passports whatsoever. Yeah, but if somebody came into the country then they and they tried to get into a pub during COVID, they would have been barred as well. <laughs> like it, just, yeah. just, the same rule applied in that regard. I don't, yeah. I don't see, I mean, like there's about 50 a day coming in now, apparently, um, for international protection applicants. 50 yeah. a day. Um, they have no, like, there's nowhere, like I agree in some ways, there's nowhere for them to, to stay. Like, they, they, like yeah. they've closed um, City West now. They just said, can't take it. We'll have to pause it. There's no room. But so, but that's it, Neil. But like this is the this is the problem. The government they're just saying keep coming, just keep coming. I mean, Neil, it, this and Roger O'Gorman came out last week, I believe, and he said, look, if you're coming over, we're going to put you out in the streets. That is outrageous. I would say even criminal by Roger O'Gorman. We we have a right to defend our national security, 
and that's been that is it's under threat right now. And what's your worry that we don't know the background of the men that are coming? Is it or what they potentially <laughs> might be capable of doing? Is it? Neil, if you're if you're a serial killer on the loose, you can come to Ireland, throw your passport in the bin, and get a new life in Ireland. That's 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 the reality. But that's a of it, fairly like. extreme example, doesn't it? But it's an extreme example, Neil. But I'm just telling you. You know, we need to start talking extreme examples here because extreme stuff is happening to our nation. And Neil, can I just, if you wouldn't mind, Neil, can I read out a small extract from the proclamation? Sure, yeah, remind us. Okay. We declare the right of the people of Ireland to the ownership of Ireland and to the unfettered control of Irish destinies to be sovereign and indefeasible. The long usurpation of that right by a foreign people and government has not extinguished the right, nor can it ever be extinguished, except by the destruction of the Irish people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I we am can't... Sick and tired now of the politicians telling us that they have an exclusive right over the destiny of the Irish nation. That is not right. It's wrong. And, and I, in my view, Neil, it's criminal. And I know there's a lot of people out there who agree with me, you know. I mean, is, is, your, is your issue with all people coming here or the, the no. kind of risky international protection orders? Which is it Neil, like? If there's a genuine war in a country and people are fleeing it, and, and they're, they're, they're fleeing, fearing for their life, families, absolutely. That, that, you know, I've no problem with that. But, like, they're, they're taking the piss now. This government, the European Union, are taking the piss out of us. And we, we cannot have it any longer. And I'm calling on the Irish army you now as well to start talking to the president and to say, listen, this is outrageous. They read out the proclamation every Easter meal up in Dublin. So what is the point? Ah, yeah, but the, proclamation, the, proclamation? the proclamation talks about our freedom, right? Um, and, yeah. and, and the proclamation was written at a time when we wanted our own rule, our own country to be sovereign without any British overlords. That's what that was yeah, about. That, it says nothing about closing our borders to people who, who want fr- to, the free movement of travel. That's not what Neil, the is we, we have to protect our culture, heritage and the people of Vera. Because if that, if that is destroyed, then what's the point in saying we're, we're over the land of... You but, know, but, 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 why can't we be, yeah, but why can't we be multicultural? Like many other progressive societies are. But Neil, this is not progressive. A mass riot in, a ho- in hotels in Killarney, mass stabbings, we're hearing about noise being brought in, we're hearing about like City West last night, a mass riot. I mean, this is outrageous. I'm just saying from my opinion, Neil, and I know there's a, there's a lot of people yeah. out there yeah. that, are, that are very quiet about this, we have a right to defend our national security, and it's under threat right now from people in government in my view, should all be arrested. The, the sitting TDs of this country need to start talking and stop calling okay. us racist. Because okay. we're not racist, Neil. I know a lot of people of colour people, right? I, I've never said a bad word about them in my life. And a lot of people in this country are the same. So yeah. they better stop using the far-right racist card because... We will bring legal proceedings against them. If oh, they keep I, I, I see that going on in the online world. I see a lot of that. There's a lot of division and a lot of bitterness and name yeah. calling. I, to be honest with you, I don't want to get dragged into all of that name calling. Uh, I'm, yeah, just, I'm just trying to facilitate as best I can. And, and just let me leave you with this text, right? Well done for getting racism going. But you forget that it's the people who are in charge of this mess 
that's who should be going after. Absolutely, Neil. I, I totally agree, Neil. And that's why but I'm that's saying... All, that's, but that's saying that the people who are in international protection centres in like City West or Killarney, they, they still need to behave themselves in, in, spite oh, of the fact that, in spite of the fact that, you know, maybe they're getting impatient or situations aren't ideal or everybody's crowded in on top of the other or there are different nationalities who, for some reason, don't get on. It doesn't give them a free card to riot. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, Neil. I mean, like, look, listen, we, we, this is, for me, 100%, this is no a national security issue. And the Irish Army, top brass, need to start getting involved. The President of Ireland, I wrote to him, he said it was out of his hands, but he's, he picks and chooses his... Uh, no, I just worry, uh, Jonathan, when I hear people saying Ireland for the Irish. I know they're not your words exactly, yeah. but, you know, protecting only our culture, Ireland only for the Irish. That's, that scares me, you know, because I don't want to live in a society like that. I want to be free and open and welcoming to everybody who contributes. Absolutely, Neil, I totally agree. But, like, Neil, we also have to preserve our culture, our heritage, and, you know what I mean? Because, like, they can't just say that, like, you know, we just throw that in the bin and we're not Ireland anymore and we don't have... Like, no, no, we have a right to defend our sovereign era okay. and the people of era okay. that's it okay. okay let me get some more texts and calls if they're there appreciate it thank you Jonathan text 0868104106 The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM our phone lines remain open after midday 0818104106 okay back to calls in a second just another few texts from the insane amount of texts that have been receiving recently um, and sadly much of them to do with uh, our health system following the killing of Matthew Healy, five years ago, my daughter was 11, rushed to hospital in Tralee to get her appendix out. She was put in a ward, 11-year-old, with uh, a woman approximately 50 years old and a girl of about 19. The 19-year-old was throwing herself on the floor and screaming. It was so scary, I wouldn't leave my daughter's side. Rarely saw nurses. It was exhausting for both of us. She was in four days. I only got a break when her dad would visit after work. I know that you were alarmed by it, but I have to wonder what it must have been like for your daughter of 11 years old to witness that. Um, in the Mercy, people are outside the door in pyjamas and often with equipment attached, smoking and doing all kinds of thing, things. I've seen people fighting and drinking and all kinds of mad stuff. The Mercy area has gone totally nuts. Yeah, could you imagine if you were security trying to monitor that? People going in and out in pyjamas, sometimes attached to equipment for a fag. Who's going in and who's going out and who's coming back in with them? So big security issues, certainly. Um, um, uh, one way could fix our health service overnight, do away with the two-tier healthcare. No more private health services. If this was to happen, I guarantee you our politicians would soon get off their arses and make sure the health service worked because it would affect them. This is the biggest problem. A two-tier health system exists. People may say, I have a right to pay for private health services. You do, but not at the expense of people who can't afford to pay for private health insurance. A one-fit-all system would get politicians off their arses. Can you imagine a politician waiting 12 hours to be seen in a hospital? Uh, How about 85 hours um, on a trolley like we had this morning, an 85-year-old man. Uh, can you imagine a politician waiting? These people do not understand what it's like to have to wait for anything. I'm okay, Jack, is the way they look at the rest of us. If it remains, we have a private and a public health service, then we will be having these conversations for as long as we have in our lives. Uh, the entire system needs to change from the top down they are toxic in their policies, every political party. So there's all that and lots more besides. Um, I just want to take another call. Alice, good morning. Alice, can you hear me all right? 
I can, Neil. Hello, how I'm, are you? I'm sorry I didn't get to you uh, yesterday. It's okay. And my apologies for that. No. Ah, uh, well, I understand that with the Mercy Hospital. I yeah. understand No, that. and, but, and I'm, I'm keen to hear your story at the same time. Now, can I, can I just say, I don't watch Fair City, but okay. it is hugely popular. And the exactly. storylines in Fair City are constantly uh, dominating um, news coverage and, you know, yeah. the tabloids all of the time. It's it's hugely popular as a show, isn't it? It is, it is. I mean, I, I don't know the viewing, but yeah, I, I would say it's in the millions at this stage. It's Artie's flagship yeah. soap. And, and, it, so, and it, it, it's trending all of the time. It's that popular. So they're certainly doing something is. right in that regard. But it's, it's one of the storylines that bothers you, is it? It is. It's the adoption story. Can you tell um, us the backstory to, to, for those of us that don't watch it? The backstory is going a bit back now that this woman, Joan, is a character. She's a solicitor. She has a son. And she started to reveal that she had another son she had given up for adoption years ago. And the storyline went off and it comes back. Her son gets killed, the son she uh, brought up. And he had found out about his brother, so he sends a text. He traces the brother and he sends a text. He gets killed, sort of manslaughter. So she gets his phone. I tried to uh, condense this as much Thank as I you. can. Thank you, you're doing fine. Okay. She takes his phone. She pretends to be him and sends the other son, Matthew, she calls him, a text. He so she's up. texting her adopted son, pretending to exactly. be his brother, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then he turns up. And it all, it all kicks off after that. He got an awful shock, obviously, to learn his brother had What, died. is he annoyed and he's upset that his brother Absolutely. has died? Was he annoyed with his, his birth mother the right term anymore? Uh, no, mother, please. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just correct me now if I get anything wrong. Well, it's okay. We're, we're, that's an ongoing battle. Um, the minister has accepted mother, okay. but that's an ongoing battle. You so know, is he annoyed then with that. his mother? Absolutely hates her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and here are the lines that are quite upsetting. I hate you. You're not my mother. And on it goes. He walks out. She, you know, she gets extremely upset. The story develops. This guy then starts going out with his brother's, dead brother's girlfriend. God, soap opera very soap opera style. So he comes into Carrickstown. He comes right in centre, um, centre story. The centre story now, they've developed it now, is the interactions between him and his mother and that's where we have the problem with. Right, okay. And it's full of hatred, toxic. She's kind of cast as the mother, as the bad one. He had a terrible childhood, of course, and he was abused by his parents and... This this is now the storyline. So he Go was on. abused by the parents had a terrible childhood with the parents who he was fostered adopted to. Adopted him. Adopted him. Yeah. Adopted him. Yeah. And like his father had become an alcoholic and he's sort of now blaming the mother for everything. The blame game is... Okay. I have a fair idea now and my apologies to yeah, people yeah. who know the storyline but not everybody yeah. watches it. For those that mm. didn't watch it, we now know. But this is fiction. I agree, I understand that, but the one point I do want to make, I was watching Tommy Tiernan the other night, and there was a girl on, you probably saw it, 
from Cork. She has Parkinson's. I did. I didn't see the show, but I heard she was inspiring. Brilliant. She was very inspiring. At the end of this show, there's this notice coming up now on a lot of programmes. If any of the issues affect you, these are the helplines, okay? Yeah. And I think that's a very good idea. Fair City has done no such... Uh, warn, there was no warning of this coming up or the kind of dialogue. It kind of got me through the heart, to be honest with you. There was no helplines which should have been given. Not yeah. should have been given. And why I, does it pull at your heartstrings? Because I suppose a lot of us are in the same um, boat being rejected by our adopted children. There are many, many mothers, and I speak to them. Some of them are very good friends of mine. And this is an ongoing battle they reject us, and in the main, they reject us. So any mother like myself in that position sitting at home would have been totally, I use the word traumatised very carefully, but I, I was in tears watching that, you know, because you're bringing it back to yourself. I know it's a soap opera and you kind of, you know, but I really think Fair City could have handled this. They don't regard it as a sensitive subject, I see some writers sitting down there never thinking about the effect. It has a huge effect on people and it will also colour the view of the general public watching it. They think this is how it is. Now, our Neil, it's never done that way. The contacts are never made that way, you know. Yeah, well, no she, I know, but in this act of, yeah. this work of fiction, mm-hmm. she used her mm-hmm. dead son's phone to continue the conversation with her son who had been adopted and he... Yes. Yeah, he had never any intention of reconnecting with his mother. No. So, but well, but again, no. again, it's yeah, it's yeah, a storyline. Yeah, yeah. You would say it it's is. being used for entertainment, but it's hurtful for others because yeah, it is. It is. You you I, said in your I, I, contact to me, it is wholly inappropriate and an insult and hurt to the thousands of mothers, including myself, who were forced to give up our children to adoption yeah. many years yeah. ago. Yeah, you actually call it the you know, adoption business, which is an interesting way of putting it. Well, it is because, as you probably know, there was a lot of money paid over for children. Who, we call them donations. And we call, it was a business. It was certainly a business for some of the religious people who got huge donations, you know. And that's, all, that's an ongoing battle for us, you know. Um, but that's why we call it the adoption business, because there was a lot of money, as you know, millions millions and millions of pounds the orders, the religious and orders do you mind, yeah, that's, listen, Besborough is yeah. never far from our minds, yeah absolutely, um, uh, even only yesterday exactly, I have close friends, mothers who were in Besborough and oh, you know the horror stories, you've had people on there and your story um, is a very powerful one as a 1975 student at UCC yeah. at the same time, yeah. are you comfortable to talk about that? Oh, I am. I am. I'm used to it now. I've been doing it for about four or five years, or many years where I wouldn't talk about it, you know. Uh, it is uh, what we call a famous family secret. I know. I'm, I know. Now, I'm now suffering the results of that because uh, some of my family members have known I've gone public. They're not very pleased about it, but because you're talking you know. about it. But were you very young? You were You were certainly of college 19. age. Yeah. Now, I, I was second year UCC, so I suppose 19 or 20, 20, when I had my daughter in Dublin, I was sent in the middle of the night in a taxi in labour to Dublin. And because... We were, From Cork I to was, Dublin? Yeah, in a Cork. taxi in those days. Yeah, it was uh, six hours, a six-hour uh, journey. 
so you you know I was told you're not having this baby in Cork what would the neighbours say you know uh, we're back to, we're back to the bad old days I don't think people realise how the 70s were so conservative so you were piled into a taxi and given that he was given the taxi, taxi fare and told to take you to a Dublin hospital yeah I always think of that poor taxi man because he wasn't told who was in the back of his car and he drove like the trappers the poor man I often think about him and when he was told then I was in labour the poor man you know and in those days like the roads we didn't have the motorways uh, that we have today you know yeah. so I arrived at labour ambulance it's a long I, journey though I'd say it was I remember bits of it it's funny how the mind blots things out you know and you go along with you don't really have any choice in those days you know with your parents um and I, I remember bits of the journey. How old were you? Rest is 20. Right. 20. I don't think I'd ever been in Dublin. <laughs> so was it was at a time even where a 20-year-old girl would still be very much under the influence or direction or, you know, the instruction of their parents? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, I, I was afraid of my mother. Uh, still am. Um, oh, yeah. You just did what you were told. She was so angry. And she must have arranged me to go to this um, mother and baby institution in Dublin. She must have made arrangements. And is that what happened Uh, after the birth of your daughter? Yes. Um, I wasn't allowed to bring my daughter home. I was sent then on to, from St. James's to St. Patrick's. Were you told that, though? Don't bring your child home. Yeah, I was. Well, I won't tell you the word that was used about the child. It starts with B and ends with T. So don't bring that uh, basically bastard home, you know. So, like, and there was no way I could. I remember for months on end I begged her, but no, um, attached it, no. So I ended up in St. Patrick's in Dublin with this beautiful child. And I kind of came out of it there overnight. I, I, I kind of freaked out in there. And I came back to Cork and I left the child there. You know, because I couldn't bring her home, and I said I'll go back up, and you know, you you think in your head, we'll fix this, but you're basically expected to come home and carry on as normal, and there was nothing said, not a word when I came home, not a word. Where did your daughter go? My daughter stayed in St Patrick's. They had a huge nursery there. She's mm. very well looked after. And that's the mother and baby home in Dublin, yeah. It's a mother and baby yeah. home, yeah. It was one of the main huge mother and baby homes. So I used to travel up and down occasionally to see her and start to talk to social workers. And I had signed... In those days, Neil, adoption was the only option for parents. You know, adoption was the thing. That's what you did. If you were not married and you had a child... Was the only thing if you, you did if you weren't welcome back into the family home? Yeah. Oh, you couldn't bring her. Oh, a merciful God, though, that that wouldn't be had at all. That that's just. I didn't know anybody else. I'd only told one close friend. You know. I mean, nobody knew. Absolutely nobody knew. Nobody was to know. Uh, these friends tell me today. Uh, you know, today they they sort of knew. You know, you hid the pregnancy. You you did all the things that the horror stories are about, you know. You said, I was afraid to pick my daughter up in case I'd bond with her. Uh, I had to make it not real. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that that is something I really regret. That what these nuns wanted you to do 
was look after your child for six weeks and bond with them and then hand them over. I wasn't going for that. I wasn't going to do that to myself. Did you know even at that early stage that you were going to be giving up your daughter? I, I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. I changed my mind a few li- months later, but that's another story. I did. There was no other option. I couldn't see any other option. I was a student. I was afraid of my parents anyway. How would I survive? How would you survive out in that world? You know, well, what was it like saying goodbye to her? Uh, pretty horrific. That that was months later. That uh, my child wasn't handed over to the new adoptive parents for months. There was some medical problem, and I do remember that journey going up to do that. You know, it was. I'd been very careful trying not to keep that bond. It was awful, Neil. To be honest with you, it's uh, it's something I wouldn't wish on anybody. Um, it was pretty horrible expecting to get on with your life you go back to Cork you get a job but did you meet the parents who adopted your daughter absolutely you weren't allowed you were this is kind of funny you were given the shopping list you know as if you could pick out what you wanted these social workers back then you know made you feel as if you were doing the right thing and oh you get a choice and I remember asking that one of them would be a Protestant for some insane reason. Yeah. And I uh, Protestant in my back. I wanted a mixed marriage. And I thought naively, as we did back then, that you would sort of get what you want. You were persuaded yourself. Even I had close friends at the time, my own age, and tell you how sort of brainwashed we all were into adoption. Oh, it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do, you know. No, I knew I didn't know anybody who kept their child in those circumstances. Nobody else knew anybody, mm. and you were brainwashed. Or oh, the child will be grand, and there was no talk that you'll suffer later on down the road. And did you suffer? Later. I did, and I didn't for a while. I kept sort of in the back of my mind. I I was clearing out a house. Uh, well, my son was helping me clear out a house I had in Cork some years ago, and he found this diary and in the attic, and he rang me, and he said, Ma'am, I'm reading your diary, and I suddenly remembered this diary was when my daughter was born. I'd wrote, written a diary for six months, and it's all in that. I, I, I got such a shock that he was reading it. You know, there was detailed, very emotional mm. stuff, you know. And did you know and about his sister before the diary? Oh, he did. And did you did you give her a name? I'm sure you did. Uh, uh, she is Christine Christine Antoinette. Um, after Mary Antoinette, don't know why that is. And <laughs> okay. Christine's a family name. No, there was a girl in the hospital that I met, and she was named Antoinette. She was she knew the state I was in. I was in a complete absolute mental state. I was afraid to touch the baby and. She would feed her and make me hold her. And, and I was terrified of making this bond in my head. Don't make the bond. Don't make the bond, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. I don't yeah. know. You, you try and start to protect yourself. That's the self-protection thing. And I called her after her then. She was a lovely girl. She was from Dublin. There was, there was only two of us unmarried mothers in the ward. We were completely excluded. and stared at and remarks and... So we kind of banded. I'm very grateful for all. Right you must, you must, it must have been instilled an awful sense of shame in you. 
Oh, shame. I'm still, you know, you still carry that all your life. Um, you, you do shame and people finding out. and You think your life is over. You know, you basically think that's it. You know, my life is over. That's, that's that. And this and girl and Tanette kept me going because she was keeping her child. She was in the same position as myself. But she came from working class Dublin and I think much better at parenting and, you know... Yeah, not, but not as concerned about what the neighbours might think or the priest or the local community, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have to laugh though about all my, you know, all my neighbours, my mother's, she's still alive, all her neighbours are dead and I often smile and say, well, they're dead now, it doesn't really matter, you know. I know, water under the bridge. Yeah. But it was years yeah. later then, were you keen to try and re... I don't, I don't want to overly dwell on this because I'm yeah. not quite sure where the conversation would go, but did you try and reconnect? I did, I did re... Well, I did reconnect... Well, when I say reconnect, I did about four or five years ago, I met a wonderful woman and you know her and I won't name her here, she knows who she is. In Bessborough, and I met her for lunch off Facebook. And we had a three hour lunch, four hours lunch, and she had found her son. And I decided maybe I need to find out where she is, and maybe it will work out. In my head for years, Neil, I thought one day when she's grown up, I'll fix all this. It'll be all fixed, and it'll be all happily ever after. That's what you do, that's what your mind tells you to do. And I'll find her and Start again, as if you could, you know, wipe out the whatever. So about four, four, about four years ago now, I did start the search and, you know, went to Tusla. I did all the right things. I didn't. And I found out and I went to GRO and Roscommon, tracked where she was. It was very exciting, to be honest with you, at the time. And I thought, oh, that's it. I found her now. I just ring Tusla and tell them, contact her. And I'm here. And I thought... Oh, that'll be great, you know. And um, but the end of that is she doesn't want any contact. She got a terrible shock. She wanted her medical information, but she doesn't. She has a a word for she had a lovely adoption. She has a lovely life, and that's it. Yeah, she's so put her own. She she's put her own exclusive footprints on the world, if you like, and her own path has been exactly. followed. How do you she feel wants- about that? I feel very sad about it. I'm coming to terms with it now because two years ago was the... I wrote her a letter. She wanted... I have a lot of adopted friends, you know, colleagues. I said, look, Alice, push the door open. She's opened it. She wants some medical information. So I sent her what would be a 20-page letter with explaining everything that happened, why it happened. I thought, let's... It's in case she thinks I abandoned her or whatever... And I explained the whole story and the history of the family and the medical information. And I said, look, you know, I don't expect you to come back into my life as my daughter, but I'd, I would like to know how you're getting on. And, you know, but no, uh, she, uh, about a year later, she told um, Tussla that she wants no contact. Okay, okay. that's sad. That is sad. And if she ever changes her mind, she has my details. And you know something, that, that was it, that was therapeutic for you to do that at least you get you got to at least you know that I, she read your story I did she has a very good job she apparently has lovely life she has a beautiful daughter my granddaughter whom I found on Facebook but <laughs> you do that to yourself I know 
and she has a very good life and I think she And did you have a good life? Since? I did, Neil. I mean, I got a good job. I worked in UCC for years. I got married twice. I have a wonderful son who now lives in England. So, yeah, I didn't, you know, I'm grateful for that. This other thing back of your head. I mean, I have a wonderful therapist that I go to every couple of weeks. Mm. So that that's a huge help here in Kerry. And so you know, and thanks to the other mothers, I have to shout out to the mothers out there who've helped me through this journey. They're wonderful. We talk to each other on the phone, and you kind of realise you're not the only one. No, and uh, and I know that I'll be talking with others tomorrow. My my apologies to mm-hmm. Anne O'Gorman, who I won't have time to chat oh, with yes, this know, morning. I, yeah, but yeah. but it, it you know it it's traumatising. Then watching a storyline in Fair City yeah. that's used for entertainment as opposed to exactly. anything else. Now we and we contacted RT on Saturday and asked yes, them, you know, was there you know yeah. was it the right storyline to have? Was it handled correctly? Yeah, Should yeah. there not have been alerts or numbers given out? We yeah, haven't heard anything yeah. back yet. Anyway. Yeah, you see, they kind of, I suppose I'm coming from a selfish point of view, if you like, casting the mother as the bad one, oh my God, and blaming the mother. We're used to this, you know. Like, we got pregnant, we had a child, but my God, the blame game, you know, out there on the internet. Yes, I do see I terrible comments I about, I hate my mother. She abandoned me. There's a lot of that on the internet. I, I don't it's watch sad. It don't read anymore. it. Don't read it. No, don't read because it. Because they I, don't I know agree. that every single story yeah. is exclusively individual. You can't, it is. You can't exactly. be reading that. You can't be reading it's that. It's like, I, I mean, they can blame us. And, you know, and, uh, we do feel the guilt if they're, if they're kind of wondering absolutely all our lives. We live with this, you know. It's like, Neil, it's like living with a death that doesn't stop, you know. I know, I know. I, I remember a famous um, uh, psychotherapist in America, his name is Joe Sal, wonderful man, and he said, losing a child to adoption is the same and even worse than losing a child to death because when a child dies, you get the sympathy and you have the funeral. We don't have a funeral. We have to live with another person out there that you can't meet, that you cannot have a relationship with. I know, I know. Bear in mind, though, that the opposite can be the case, too, sometimes, where children reach out to parents and the parents don't want to know, and that can be traumatic. Listen, this this story, I want to make this point here. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm out of time for now, but I will be talking to um, Anne in the morning, as I say, and I'm happy to finish the conversation with your good self then, if you're all right with that, Alice. Absolutely. And I absolutely. hope that other people might reach out and get in touch as well and maybe have a... I'd hope uh, think so. And, and, and also so have something yeah. to add to this conversation. So I'll talk to you yeah. in the morning, all right? Okay, Neil. And thank you so much. You're grand. I'll talk tomorrow. Thank I don't mean to much. rush you, but uh, the times are ticking. Lines will stay open. You can text 0868104106. You can also email if you wish, if you have a story to share. Um, but don't wish to come on air. Neil at redfm.ie. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Jumping back in because I have a head like a sieve. Offbeat Donuts winner for this week. And the donuts will be delivered to Melissa DC. I definitely deserve them. I'm putting up with four moaning kids, a moaning husband. I'd love to run away, but I have nowhere to run to. <laughs> I'm in Clan Mire. <laughs> Sorry for your troubles. There's a box of offbeat donuts on the way. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.